For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. For all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show with Dave Manuk, with Ezra Ginsberg. I'm your host, Drew Mandel, here for the next couple of hours to talk in depth about the Winnipeg Jets, the trade deadline. Less than two weeks away, there was a big splash last night that we'll touch on especially in the context of how that applies to the Jets and their trade deadline plans. And of course, much more on the Jets, the power play struggles, the usage of Nikolai Ehlers, and of course, what's going on on this start of the four-game road trip through the Eastern Conference. I say good morning to my fine friends, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg. Gentlemen, we're all back together for the first time, and I believe Three weeks, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. So it's nice to be well, all Dave popped on for about six or seven minutes yeah, on the 14th anniversary show. But yeah, it's been three weeks since we've all been together for a full show. So exactly, Dave's it's walk and talk back together. Look, Dave, look at us, guys. Dave's walk and talk doesn't count, but uh, it's nice to be back together on a Saturday morning with you, gentlemen. Uh, nice to see both of you. How are you guys doing this morning? Well, I'm doing well. I hope you guys are also doing well. Hope everybody. Watching is doing well. Thanks for joining us on your Saturday morning. It's going to be a beautiful day. Uh, what a trade last night. You mentioned that was a big splash, Drew. Like, that was a tidal wave. Yeah. And I don't know if the Jets at all were were in on Ryan O'Reilly, if Chevy talked to Doug Armstrong at all. We just don't know that at this point. But you you have Austin Matthews, John Tavares, and Ryan O'Reilly, one, two, three, up the middle. Like, not only is that probably the best center depth in the entire NHL, that might be the best center depth. The, the example I was using with Dave is since Crosby, Malk, and Jordan Stahl when the Penguins were winning those cups, uh, you know, whatever that was, 10 or 12 years ago. Like, that's incredible. And I realize O'Reilly can be a winger as well for you. And, you know, some people are talking about, you know, the Leafs gave up too much. Like, this is a rental, guys. With all of the, you know, the big salary that the Leafs have, I don't think Ryan O'Reilly is going to be a long-term Leaf. But wow, if, when you're talking about a player who can actually, you know, look at Toronto has to beat Tampa Bay in the first round, right, Dave? Like, that's all you have to be focused. We know how many times the Leafs have lost in the first round. It's been 20 years since they've got out of the first round. So Ryan O'Reilly, I think, goes a long way to helping you beat the Lightning in the first round. Well, look, and we don't want to delve, you know, time will tell, of course, Dave, if it's an overpay by the Leafs. That'll yep. be determined based on their performance come playoff time. And, you know, to say now that it's too much or too little or, or, or not enough or they gave up, they mortgaged too much, way too soon. From the Blues perspective, I think I like the move. The Blues get a fair, you know, for two expiring contracts, they get a lot in return. That's going to help them, you know, speed up their rebuild. If it is, I mean, it looks like it's a pretty full rebuild there, or at least a pretty full retool for the next year or so. But the amount of first round draft picks they've just got, Drew, they're going to be able to do that no problem. Right. They get exactly. Especially they get, in a deep draft, right? Yeah. They have three first round picks, I believe, this year alone. Uh, so that's going to certainly help accelerate things. So from St. Louis's perspective, it's a no brainer. Now, yeah. the question is from, you know, because this is a Jets show and we're going to focus on the Jets and how this trade uh, impacts the Winnipeg Jets. Now, you know, to Ezzy's point, he said, we're not sure if, you know, Kevin Sheveldayoff had discussions with Doug Armstrong about Ryan O'Reilly. It's safe to assume that they probably did. These guys have a history 
of working together in making some trades. Obviously, we know Paul Stasny a few years back. So mm. it's safe to assume that they probably had some preliminary discussions because GMs always have preliminary discussions with one another. Doesn't mean that there was a lot of significant you know, back and forth or that there was you know, a formal offer on the table or anything like that. But from the Jets' perspective, Ryan O'Reilly was a guy that a lot of people made some connections with, that a lot of people thought would have fit well here in Winnipeg with mm-hmm. his pedigree. And you look at his numbers this year, and I see people throwing out his plus minus as if that's a significant factor. Well, he was, you know, well, he's on a bottom 10 team in the league. So that's my point. You know, do you not think that Ryan O'Reilly is going, you know, his, his individual performance, mm-hmm. when you look at some of his micro stats, yeah, which are, good. you know, sort of that, that next layer of stats beyond the, the eye test stats reflect a player who played well, on a bad team. So mm-hmm. we put him on a good team. I would expect Ryan O'Reilly is going to be a perfectly fine acquisition for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Whether or especially not that- behind Ma- especially behind Matthews and, and uh, Tavares. That's right. Now, whether or not that puts them over the top, that's for time will tell in another show to discuss. We don't really care that much on that, on, on that perspective. But mm-hmm. what does this do from the Jets' actions two weeks out of the trade deadline? Does that, does this, in your perspective, Dave, does this accelerate them getting involved in the trade market? Does this give them uh, a kick in the behind to get something done before that Friday? Or is this still status quo for the Jets? We know Kevin Sheveldayoff likes to hunt for those deadlines. He doesn't do things earlier than he generally has to. Do you think this changes that mindset at all? He's a true Winnipegger. He's currently at Bargain Heralds on Main and Jefferson looking for some good <laughs> deals. That's what he's doing. And so... I, although Bargain Heralds isn't there anymore, it's some, I think it's a dollar store. But regardless, he's he's searching for those deals as, as a good Winnipegger would do. And and look, I mean, there's the talk. Although the Jets are not mentioned a lot when uh, they are going, the talk is of big game hunting. The Timo Meyer hunting. The Jets are mentioned in passing with Timo Meyer. But right now, the teams that seem to be uh, highest on that on that trade level, from mm-hmm. what we are hearing from people, are the New Jersey Devils. I think the Dallas Stars. Carolina uh, Hurricanes. Carolina Hurricanes. So, so the Jets are mentioned, but they're not mentioned. And again, maybe that's that's typical Chevy where he's, you know, not really wanting to put himself out there that significantly. We'll see. You know, are the Jets more likely Vegas to be in there as well on the right side with Stone out? Yeah, that's a good point, Ezzy. You know, and that I like I said to you uh, last day or two nights ago on the show, right? I said like it, it does have that feeling of Vegas, you know, the Mark Stone. Speaking of Mark Stone, when they got Mark Stone from Ottawa and the Jets were dancing around that one. For, for a long time, as was Vegas. But, uh, oh, Nicole remembers Bargain Heralds, although she forgot about it, but now she remembers. But anywho, the point is that... The, well, if the, we're going to talk the, about Bargain Heralds Day, we got to, you know, mention Uncle Willie's Buffet. <laughs> well, there's a lot of things we could go if we're going to go back in the day. But anyways, no, I mean, a couple of things, Drew. First of all, Bananza. Blues obviously have have pulled out and and said, okay, we're done. And that's the good move for them. And, and they doubled their draft picks in the next two years, right? They went from five... I think Andy Strickland, who covers the Blues, said they went from having five draft picks over, I think, I don't know if it was 23 and 24, to 10. I mean, that's a significant jump, especially on a draft, in a draft, sorry, of like 2023, which is going to be so deep. So that's a significant move for the Jets' rival in the future. But for right now, what it means is that the, the Blues are done and that really it's it's down to five in the division in the, uh, you know, central right now and and the the wild obviously are having a significant number of problems. They picked up a, for retaining 25% of the uh, cap hit for Ryan yeah. O'Reilly. They got a fourth rounder from the Leafs. And so, look, I, I think it's a 
interesting move, but I don't I don't know that it necessarily suggests that it's going to kick Kevin Day off in the butt. I think he does his things the way he does his things, and I think he's going to be measured. And I honestly don't think it's like, I mean, maybe if it spurred three or four subsequent trades, then suddenly he's he's in a position where he's like, okay, well now I got to get something done. Mm-hmm. But I think that right now that's it's a big move for sure in Leafland. But I mean, if the Jets weren't all in on on that on those players, then I think for the Jets' perspective, you just keep doing what you're doing, which is you know trying to work a deal that works for your team. Whether that's Timo Meyer, whether that's James Van Riemsdyk, whether that's one of the Shens, like you know what I mean, or Barbashev. Like, there's a lot of guys who are out there who are still in play for a lot of teams. So, is Shen available? <laughs> you said the Shen's there. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry. Luke Dave's Shen, starting sorry. rumors here. Yeah, yeah, Luke Shen, Luke Shen. I would take Braden Shen in, in a heartbeat. He's a fantastic <laughs> hockey player. You go back to 2019. What I thought was really interesting, too, is that Ryan O'Reilly chose Toronto, and they apparently got the done uh, mm-hmm. deal done really quickly, according to Darren Drager. And apparently, yeah. according to Dregs as well, Toronto might not be done. I'm with Drew. I think the defense is still not where it needs to be. Like, I think oh, there's no doubt O'Reilly makes the leaps better, guys. And I think that's what ultimately this comes down to, Drew. With the O'Reilly trade and the Tarasenko trade, these are both pure rentals. Yeah. Not to say that, you know, it's impossible that these guys get signed, but I I definitely don't think O'Reilly is going to be signed long-term in Toronto. The Leafs just can't afford him unless they move out like a contract, like Nylander or somebody else. Uh, so I, I think, you know, it maybe puts a little bit of pressure on Chevy to accelerate his trade plans, but I don't think it accelerates it that much. I would imagine Timo Meyer is a target. I really wonder about a guy like Vladislav Gavrikov. Like the Jets have been linked to him in the past. So I think, you know, everybody's focused on Meyer right now. But I think, you know, with Chikrin and, and Gavrikov out there, I don't think the Jets are going to be in on, on Chikrin. I just don't, you know, based on what we've heard, you know, a rental makes a lot more sense than a guy who has term because you're going to have to give up a lot to get Chikrin. And we'll sure. get into that a little bit later, but you know the O'Reilly trade is very interesting from the Toronto perspective because Dubis is in the last year of his contract, and everybody knows that you know uh, he was going to make a move. But I don't necessarily know every, everybody thought he was going to make the move this early. But um, you got to think that again, Meyer is a is a target. But as well, Brent Bellamy mentioned in the chat, I mean Paul Stastny was completely off the radar. So it seems like we've been talking about Timo Meyer for a month now. But it's possible that, you know, Chevy has a completely different player that we haven't been talk- talking about in his uh, crosshairs. Well, you know, you, you, you mentioned Timo Meyer. Both of you have now mentioned Timo Meyer, and, and I agree. The Jets haven't been one of the primary teams linked to him. It has been teams in the Eastern Conference, by and large. Uh, you know, New Jersey, who the Jets, of course, are going to be playing tomorrow night. They're, you know, they're sort of uh, uh, one of the surprise teams this year, I would say. You know, Carolina, of course, because does Carolina have that superstar? They, they have one of the best regular season teams year in and year out. Do they have that superstar scorer? that can take them over the top or adding Meyer to a, to a Svechnikov. Does that put them over the top? Does that move them into the upper echelon or they already are in the upper echelon? Does that move them uh, to the head of the class of the Eastern conference? The East is such a beast. I mean, and I know it's a, it's a cliche and everything, but you can't tell me looking up and down the Eastern conference, you know, between Carolina, New Jersey, New York, Boston, Toronto, and Tampa, and I'm going to restrict it to those six teams, that one is so far ahead of the other despite Boston's record. I know what Boston's record is, and Mm -hmm. yes, in the regular season they are so far ahead of everyone else, but come playoff time, that's just going to be an absolute bloodbath there. So again, we've talked about this, and we've talked about that. I don't know why the Jets 
you know, and maybe they are. Maybe Chevy's doing his thing very stealth-like, which is how he does his work. You know, maybe they are in on Timo Meyer because I think he makes just so much sense for for the Jets and really any team in the Western Conference because his addition to a team in the West where there's no one great team might actually establish a great team in the West. And, you know, you have an idea now Mm -hmm. or as the market continues to shape out, you have an idea of what the cost is going to be. This cost for Toronto I mean, you almost have to look at it in two different ways. And I think I saw it on Twitter. Uh, Rachel Dory, uh, who's been around the hockey world, she used to be in Vancouver. And remember, she uh, left Vancouver. was the AGM. She left Vancouver in uh, not great circumstances. And I think she's filed a lawsuit against the team, if I'm not mistaken. That's really weird to me, Drew, because Vancouver is such a fantastic organization that treats (laughs) their employees so well. She's working for the hockey news now, I think. Yeah, but she was, so I saw a tweet that she said it's almost, like there's almost multiple aspects to this trade from Toronto's perspective. It's the first and the third for O'Reilly and Achari. And then Mm -hmm. it's like the second and the fourth go for the retention of the salary. So if if there's nobody involved in retaining salary, you know, which for the Jets, there doesn't necessarily need to be. Right. It's a first and a third is what you're saying. I'm not saying for sure it's that, but maybe you have a little bit of more of an idea. And I, you know, and, you know, maybe because, you know, there's, you know, he's a restricted free agent, uh, Timo Meyer. Maybe there's another piece involved uh, and there probably would be. But, you know, a guy under control, under contract control, depending on what you do with the qualifying offer. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, a first and a third for Timo Meyer. I'm if that's what the asking price is. And I don't expect that's exactly what it is today. Well, it wouldn't be that for it it wouldn't a first and a third would not be for Timo Meyer. Drew. No, it wouldn't be. It would be more than that. But if it starts at a first and a third, that's probably something that I'm considering Uh, and probably doing. you're doing that all day. Oh, yeah. If it's only a control, first and a third, Drew. Like, that's well, an easy it's decision. Not, I'm not saying a first and a third and a prospect. That's something I'm still doing all day, every oh, day. Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't hear the prospect yeah. part. Yeah. I yeah. think they absolutely need a prospect. Timo Meyer is one of their best players. You, ha- you have to get something in return. Like, that isn't just a, a draft pick. Another guy I want to circle back to, guys, a guy that we've talked about quite a bit over the last few weeks, but not necessarily as a prime target of the Jets, is Brock Besser right? Like a Minnesota kid played for University of North Dakota, like the wild apparently really want him. We're not sure. But like, you know, he's still having a pretty decent season. He's not scoring, you know, he's a two time 20 goal scorer in the NHL. Pardon me, three time, four time 20 goal scorer. I had to check that with Hockey DB. But you wonder if, you know, to me, Besser would be a really good fit in the Jets top six. He's got two years left on his contract, though. So we should mention that. But, you know, you wonder how, you know, I, I wonder at least, you know, how serious Chevy and the Jets are about acquiring a guy like Besser. Because, you know, if you can't get Timo Meyer, you wonder if Besser is, you know, plan B. Well, I mean, look, uh, you know, Besser, there's a lot of concern about his game and his salary that's on the books. But, you know, you wonder if you get him out of Vancouver. I mean, almost you get anybody out of Vancouver, you wonder if you can rejuvenate them just by virtue of But he's young, Drew. Like, what is he, 25, 26 years old? Like, this is a guy who has a lot of good hockey. So, to me, his cap hit is, is... completely manageable i don't think he's overpaid by any stretch of the imagination he's tw- yeah, 25 years old i mean you're, you know look he's he's a, a scorer in the nhl you know if you can score in the nhl you have a unique skill set because it's the hard your power to do. play whether that's the first or second unit like he's a guy that's good on the power play right so mm-hmm. i'm just putting it out there I, I, like timo meyer is right now everybody's got a heart around timo meyer all jets well, fans want because he's Meyer. a superstar in this league There's, 
Well, and and but the problem is the Devils and the Hurricanes and mm-hmm. you know the Golden Knights. There's probably seven or eight teams after Timo Meyer. I'm just saying, just throwing it out there. You know, we know that the Jets organization likes their Minnesota boys, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just throwing it out there. Brock Besser. I wouldn't be shocked if the Jets acquire him before March third. Look, uh, you, and somebody mentioned, I think, Dave, you mentioned it earlier. The Jets are, are linked to, in a couple of published reports, I think Elliot Friedman mentioned it in 32 Thoughts, uh, mm-hmm. the, the written version of it, uh, about James Van Riemsdyk. Yeah. You know, and again, we know what James Van Riemsdyk is as a player at this age. He's not fleet of foot, but he can score. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all he does in the NHL. He's done it his entire career, is that he scores goals. And he scored, and he's scored big goals in his career. You know, this is a guy who's been through every imaginable scenario and every imaginable battle in his career. You know, and he's not going to cost you a ton. Again, he's a pure rental. So mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he, you know, you're you're probably getting James Van Reems like for a, a reasonable price, and he certainly slots in. If you're concerned from the Jets' perspective about goal scoring, and I think a lot of people are, they would say that you need to shore up that. Uh, the forward group. I mean, there's always the, there's certainly tons of concern of, about the back end, and in particular the play of Neil Pionk, of course. Yeah. And how that's going to shake itself out. But you know, you almost have to look at. You can't look at them necessarily in the same package. You almost have to look at the at them in all different pieces. Uh, you know, goal scoring, forward depth, and defense. And you might have to go to different partners to acquire all of that. And James Van Riemsdyk, again, you know exactly what you're getting from him. There's no, there's, there's no, there's no questions about it. He's a guy who's going to score from right around the net. That's what I don't think he's going to cost you a first round pick either. You might be able no, to get I don't. him for a second round pick, third round, probably. And, I don't and, think. Sorry, Dave, and you're adding a guy who's played over what 900 games or almost 900 games in the NHL. He's got about almost 100 games in playoffs. So I mean, he, you're adding a guy who's who's got a lot of experience and and knows how to play in important games and stuff like that. So, I mean, look, I, I, I agree. Everybody's got their heart set on Timo Meyer. And one of the things I wanted to add about Meyer, because I heard about it with respect to New Jersey, not with respect to the Jets, but it was that there was no extension talks being discussed, at least. I don't think actually the Sharks had even allowed those any extension talks to begin. So from what I had last read, I don't remember if that was Kevin Weeks or, or one of those other guys. But the point is, you're not getting this deal done, obviously, without an extension in place because the fact is that you can't, you know, if you're the jets, you can't afford to take on Timo Meyer, you know, qualify him next year for 10 million and run the risk of, of, you know, trading a lot of assets and not retaining the player. You need to retain this guy for years. And look, he immediately makes your top six formidable, right? I mean, that's, that's the whole idea of, of it's already you know, formidable. Well, I agree. But as he, it, what it does is it takes the pressure off of Cole Perfetti. Yeah. who's a very young player, 2020 yeah. first rounder. It allows him to play maybe a lesser role and allows a guy who's, what is Meyer? 26. So you're allowing a guy who's 26 well, I was years say old. It also allows number 26 to take on a lesser role. That's, sure. that's who I'm looking at. I, I, I think Perfetti should be in the top six. I think it's Wheeler that should not be in the top six. But I'm just, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think Wheeler works well with Lowry. And I think that, again, the whole idea we've talked about for years with this Jets club is the idea of having a consistent top nine, not just a top six that, that can get it done, but a top nine. So whether it's Perfetti or Wheeler, it's one of those two who would be, you know, maybe it's a split decision. Maybe you mix it up. But the point I'm making is, you know, a, a guy like Timo Meyer, you don't worry about, hey, you know, I was, at, I was on with Jim and Cam yesterday on, on Jets at noon. No big and deal. They, no big deal. But they t- they asked me about that idea of, of like prospects. And I said, like, look, if you're Kevin Shevel Day off and you're in the last two years or the last year and a half now of all of these guys, Shifley, Wheeler, uh, Hellebuck, 
You've got their contracts. You've got the commitments. You've got Kyle Connor in his Dubois. prime. Throw Dubois, Dubois in there. Dubois, of course. Nikolai Ehlers, again, guys in their, not and expiring contracts with Ehlers, Connor, Morrissey, but guys who are in their prime. Josh Morrissey playing the best hockey of his career. Mm-hmm. You have an obligation. You have an obligation to your fan base, really. The fans have supported you. You have an obligation to everyone. And I understand, don't get me wrong, a GM has to wear many hats, right? He can't just wear one illegal curve hat. He has to wear more than yeah. one illegal Top curve hat. hat toque. Yeah, do exactly. We have an illegal curve top hat because if we do, I could use one. Well, no, for and we get you. We get you. We get you a little monocle. Yeah, for sure. I did used to dress up as Mr. Peanut for, uh, for Halloween on yeah. more than one occasion. Well, I thought it was just a regular. While you were eating you. peanuts. Well, naturally, you got to you got to live the character as. <laughs> but the point I'm making is that look, Kevin Shevelyoff has to not just. Well, folks tend to think about this year. He's got to think about the next five years. But to be, be honest with you, he's been GM so long. I don't know if he has to think about the next five years if he doesn't get something done in the next year or two because that's his window, really. With this team, with this core, it's two years. So, I, I mean, again, do you want to lose all of these young prospects out of your organization because it, what it might do to you three, four years down the line? You don't. But remember, the the point is, that remember what we talked about with the Blues when they made all those tweaks and then they end up winning a Stanley Cup. What did we say? We said, you have to be prepared to do that to either go to a Stanley Cup final or win a Stanley Cup. You have to be able to make a move because right now the Jets are a very good hockey team, right? We're not we're not discounting them, but are they good enough to to just cruise through? I don't think they are. They don't have that depth yet. So you have to make some moves to acquire that depth. That's just that's the simple reality of the Jets situation. Well, you talk about the the prospects, Dave, and everything else. And the Jets, I mean, look, they have prospects still it's not like they, they've been trading away first round picks willy-nilly for the last decade or anything right these, you know Chaz lucius brad lambert rutger mcgrordy i mean these guys are guys who have been drafted by the team who are you know under contract well not mcgrordy but the other guys are under contract with the team that if it requires you to you know to to stay relevant you know, or more than relevant this year and maybe a couple years down the road, maybe you lose out on one of those guys, or maybe you lose out on a first round pick next year or a second round pick the year after or whatever exactly it might be. I mean, I, 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 you know, you can't always just, I mean, again, they don't have a second round. They don't have a second round pick this year, but you look at what Toronto paid for O'Reilly. I think over the second round pick was in 2024, if I'm not mistaken. So it wasn't a second round pick this coming year as a first and a third this year and a second next year. So you can use some of these. They just have, it's not like their, 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 their prospect pool is diminished or depleted. They've done a good job building it back up when after they traded those first round picks for a couple of years. So now it's time to maybe use them again. You talk about the financial aspect of all of all of this. Well, we know that a home playoff game is worth what? About $3 million? Mm-hmm. I think that's the, generally the going number. Every home playoff game is worth $3 million. Because remember, players don't get paid in the playoffs. So that's basically just, you know, revenue, 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 money, money, money. So you keep adding those home playoff games, at, you know, maybe a round or two or three rounds of, of home playoff games. Well, that certainly, you know, pays for a contract extension for a Timo Meyer that keeps your team uh, more than relevant moving forward. I mean, there's, there's everything about this year screams all in. And we've, we've talked yes. about it. Our colleagues in the media have talked about it. A Western conference that is wide open that, you know, the Jets who are playing, I would say, okay hockey as of late. Am I the only person, by the way, like, I, I believe it's wide open, but. 
But Colorado? Colorado. Like, you know, like I think especially the Central is wide open. Dallas is yeah. a good team, but I don't think Dallas is I, – I, I actually think the Jets are better than Dallas. Mm-hmm. Like I realize Dallas is a couple of points ahead of them. But Colorado, we know all of their injury problems, right? Like, so when we talk about wide open, I think it's just funny. Like, the Colorado Avalanche, last time I checked, they're still defending Stanley Cup champions, and they still have McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog, McCarr. I mean, I could go on and on and on, right? But I just, they're not as good as they were last year on paper, right? right? Because you don't have Nazem Kadri, you don't Mm -hmm. have Andre Burakovsky, but I mean, Gorgiev has been fantastic in net. Um, so I, I still think that they're a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I just think it's funny when, you know, it's it's like people have forgotten how good the, the Avalanche still are, even without Kadri and Burakovsky. That's that's all my point is. To your point, you don't think the Avs are going to be out there big game hunting to get back to where they were last year? Well, exactly. Year? I mean, I think they are going to acquire. I mean, a lot of people were talking about Jonathan Taves a couple of weeks ago. I don't think that's going to happen no. because uh, who was it that reported he's not going anywhere? I forgot. Right. Who were... It was Frank who's talking about Frank Saravelia and Daily Faceoff was saying that a lot of teams are now concerned about this ongoing health issue is it a right. is it another factor of sort of that long covid he went through you know because he's been out of the lineup for so long out of chicago that it's you know uh that he's not he's fallen he's he, he's sort of fallen off the radar when it comes to impending trades right and i think what, what hang on is, let me let me yeah. stop you right there we got to go to break murat right. is coming up next for more jets talk don't go anywhere folks we got a jam-packed show for you fired up Drew. there's lots to talk about here exact fired up ready to go it's the illegal curve hockey show we're live on youtube and all of our social media platforms. Bottom of the hour. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg with you on this Saturday morning. And we're thrilled to welcome to the program from The Athletic, our very good friend, Murat Atesh, who I think is asking if we can hear him. And we cannot hear you at the moment, Murat. I'm not sure if you can hear us Yeah, as we well. need to hear you and less of Drew. <laughs> That's a, usually a, a, a lifelong rule here on the program. We have a look of perplexed on Marat's face. so uh, He can't hear us and he can't speak. That's yeah. what we like, Marat. We'll just keep talking. You just <laughs> sit there. We'll be like, he brought some. Oh, he's gone. He's gone. He's had enough. That's it. That's yeah. his- wow. That was the shortest you, appearance in the history of Illegal Curve. Marat? Can you really blame him uh, for having enough of us? He's fulfilled his contractual obligations. Yeah. By he did say he would be in. on yeah. the show. He never yeah. said how long he yeah. would be on the show we, for. We only pay Murad for 10 seconds, and that was a good 10 <laughs> seconds. That was as, as articulate and as well-spoken as I've ever seen him, to be perfectly honest. Uh, so Murad is going to uh, come back and join us, I presume, momentarily. In the meantime, of course, we can talk about some of his... Maybe there was a trade. Work. Did we miss a trade here? Maybe Murad had to write about it for The Athletic. Uh, I haven't seen any... Well, that happened yesterday, Ezzy. That, ha- that happened when I was doing the media with the Moose. Uh, the, the Leafs trade broke as it was doing media but thankfully uh anthony the as part of the moose communication staff waited till after we were done talking to the moose players then and nolan baumgartner before they he broke that news can you hear us now marat nope that look he's looking perplexed (laughs) it seems to be that we are he's got so can you marat can you use sign language to communicate your thoughts do you have a do you have a quill pen there that you can just write out your answers just write out our questions and he'll write out our answers and then we'll hold them up to the screen Uh, couldn't we just send folks to read his maybe we'll just read his latest piece on the athletic there you go. That, we can just send that article instead. As he yeah. maybe text Murad or something to see to figure something out here. I'm not sure what uh, that doesn't next accept my do. text. What are you talking about, Drew? Okay, so <laughs> he has a restraining order against me. As per Murad attest, uh, Winnipeg beat Seattle on Tuesday, asserting the Jets' position toward the top of the Western <laughs> Conference before losing three-one to the Blue Jackets on Thursday in Columbus. No, 
I won't, I won't, that's just a little, that's a little tease. You have to go pay it. for the article. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, so, so obviously uh, the game against Columbus on Thursday was uh, not pretty. Uh, well, they, know. I mean, Drew, they, 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 they let me rephrase. They, they, not pretty in terms of the result. Yeah. They dominated the game. The second period was, was average at best. The, the penalties both ways, not just against the Jets, but, but for, uh, against Columbus too, I thought were fairly marginal. The Pierre-Luc Dubois one, which ultimately led to the Patrick Laine goal, was atrocious. Mm. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you call that a penalty. That's embarrassing. And um, But look, they dominated the first and third periods. The the, the Blue Jackets had the better uh, chances in the second. So, I mean, it's 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 one of those games. Can you hear us now? Come on. Oh, there we, we can go. hear you. I heard you. I heard you. Can you hear us? Come on. No, we oh, can hear you. We can hear you. Yeah. No, we can hear you. We can hear you. Just speak. Yeah, we can write out our questions. You can hear me just fine, which is great. Um, which but is you can't great. hear us. <laughs> uh, well, why don't we write out our questions to him? We'll we'll read our questions. Wait, me, Drew. Maybe we should put the questions in a in a in a bar yeah, across the screen. Scroll. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let me create a banner here. Murat. Good morning. <laughs> Drew's uh, going to spend 10, year, 10 minutes doing this. Well, yeah. I mean, this is... Uh, this is How does the Leafs trade impact the Jets' plan? Are you actually doing this right now, Drew? The trade <laughs> deadline. Well, Dave, when you... You, know, you, got, you, you make do. To. You make do. Yes. All right. <laughs> can you see that, Murat? Let's start there. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Y'all can hear me, yeah? Everybody's having a good time? Oh, my goodness. I'm in the I'm in the audio settings. I'm playing. I think I'm hip. I think I grew up on computers. I I think I know how to choose an input and an output. And and here we are. But I'll, I'll get ready. Right how does the least trade impact the Jets plan at the trade deadline? I mean, first of all, congratulations to the Toronto Maple Leafs on going all in in an effort to win a playoff round. Um, and second of all, I think that I think that Winnipeg is maybe. I think their fantasy would be to be able to add a top six, middle six type forward, ideally a right shot, maybe face-offs. You know, Ryan O'Reilly would check a lot of those boxes. I, I, I think so. Um, there, I think that there's a chance. Um, yeah, uh, but I, I think there's enough fish in that sort of regard that I'm not sure that Ryan O'Reilly to the Toronto Maple Leafs changes Winnipeg's perspective wholeheartedly. Um if they're desperate for a face-off person, the Jonathan Davis possibility exists, although the latest from Chicago seems to be that maybe he'll be staying put. Um, but I also think that, you know, in the trade deadline piece that I wrote evaluating Winnipeg's forward options, you sort of have to get a little bit lower on the list and a little deeper before you start to, to get into fits that seem to... Um, that seem to be more in the line of what Winnipeg would be shopping for. I'm not sure that... I mean, Timo Meyer would be an absolute fun one for the Jets. And, you know, I'm sure Jets fans are still holding out hope, but it could be more depth options in, in that regard. Um, how badly do the Jets need a right shot defenseman who can play top four minutes? As he, I, is this the Neil Pionk question? Is that yes. <laughs> everybody's nodding? Um, yeah, I mean, they need... They need the best version of Neil Pionk or a solution for that situation. Um, you know, when Neil Pionk came to Winnipeg, uh, there was some, some questions about what level of defenseman he could be. Was he just the third pairing defenseman that he had excelled in in New York? And then top four was a bit of a struggle. 
he came and he showed up and he delivered two really quality seasons for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, and he was aggressive at the Winnipeg Jets blue line. He was defending um, entries particularly well. He was Winnipeg's best zone entry denier in, in the year that I tracked that stat, his first season with the team. And lately, maybe since his injury situation last year, um, he hasn't been at that level. And I think that if you're looking to snap your fingers and say, hey, what would it take to completely solidify the Winnipeg Jets defense? It would be somebody to play that role. Um, and I get asked about Eric Carlson as a result all of the time and how fun that would be. Just imagine having two Norris candidates on the same team, one anchoring each pair, and, and you could play those guys behind anybody. I'm not sure that's the aisle that the Winnipeg Jets are shopping in as much as it makes sense. Um, you know, I think that they're going to stick with the with the core of guys that they've got and maybe look more into, into that depth aisle where, you know, a Luke Shen could play in front of or behind Dylan Sandberg, depending on how that's going, or a Joel Edmondson, who's local, has some playoff results. And I know, and I know that that's disappointing for fans looking for that all-in move, especially on, you know, the morning maybe after the Toronto Maple Leafs went and got a star-capable center like Ryan O'Reilly. Um, I'm just not sold that the Jets are in that all-in sort of, hey, forget, forget what the cost is, let's do all of this sort of uh, mode. Saturday morning, you're watching the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, Murata Tesh, who can see us but can't hear us. So it's a unique perspective that we're going with this morning on the show. We're typing our messages to Murat, and then he's responding. If you're wondering what's happening, it's going to make it a little bit weird for the podcast listeners, but we'll do our best. Well we're going we're gonna to read out our questions to Marat, so at least then the pod, people who are listening on the podcast yeah. can, can get a, a sense as to what we're asking him. And because we don't, want them, we don't want them not to understand. They may not get the fact that, that what we're doing, this, this 21st century uh, communication <laughs> that we're doing as we're passing notes, as one of the folks in the chat so aptly po- put it. So, Marat, my question to you, which you're reading right now, I'm going to ask it so people hear it. Is anyone off the table for you from a prospect's perspective when it comes to trades? I mean, so prospects, right? Anybody off the table who who could be reasonably moved and all of this sort of stuff. You know, it's interesting. I feel like the scouts built Winnipeg as a competitive team. And in the years that Winnipeg fell off of, you know, contention sort of status from 2018, 19 to now, one of the things that you saw was they didn't have a lot of draft picks. And they, you know, they had an underwhelming number of draft picks. They Starting from 2017, that trade they made with Vegas, um, 2018, they trade away a first, 2019, they trade away a first, all of that sort of stuff happens. And you're only just now able to look at the Jets prospect pool and say, hey, they're kind of cooking again, you know, at that top end. They've been deep in, in various ways um, for, for a while, but that top end is only just now replenished with Brad Lambert's and, and Rucker McGroarty's and Chaz Lucius's. Um, and it just seems like... Trading from that group of players from one perspective would be a challenge. Why why move on from the future that your scouts have found for you after all of that time away? At the same time, if the Jets do look at their 2024 situation with pending unrestricted free agents, they're concerned about Pierre-Luc Dubois' future, all of those sorts of things, and they realize that, hey, the West is wide open right now. We're having a good season. Josh Morrissey is spectacular. So many players are you know, close to the best versions of themselves right now. 
Well, then at the same time, I'm not sure even one of those prospects is that 1A can't miss. This is a surefire top center number 1D of the future. Um, and as much as, you know, I think they'd be loath from their perspective to give up, say, a Rucker McGordy, who they probably imagine as a future captain and um, sort of an Adam Lowry type player, but maybe with some offense and that leadership for sure. I don't know if it's one of those if the player coming back was going to have that impact and if they went deep, I don't know that, that there's somebody who's absolutely untouchable to me either. Uh, Murat, let me ask you this question. I'm putting it on the screen. We talked about maybe the jets shouldn't be all in this year, but given the current state of the Western conference, given the jets current contract situation, you talked about it with the pen, the guys who are becoming unrestricted free agents in a couple of years, the uncertainty about Pierre-Luc Dubois, the wide open nature of the conference. Why shouldn't the jets be all in this season? I mean, why shouldn't they, right? That's, that's the perspective. If, if ever there were a year, um, you know, why not, why not this one? And, the only, the only counter argument that I have available is if you believe, if you believe that the West is too difficult to get out of even now. If if you're looking at Dallas or Seattle or you fear the rise of Colorado or Vegas or something like this, and you think, hey, you know, the odds of this being the year, and like, I think that in a competitive industry. The, the read that people would make was, is no, we have as good of a chance as any of these players so I or any of those teams. The other side would be if you're concerned about what happens to your next window after this, because I was just talking about the idea that Scouts built this team and um, here's a group of prospects, maybe not, you know, surefire superstars, but there's a lot of quality there in that top end. Um, you have some young talent in terms of uh you know, prime age players, Kyle Connor, Josh Morrissey, Nikolai Ehler under contract for a little while, uh, Cole Perfetti coming up. Presumably Dylan Sandberg is the front runner, but Ville Hainala, Logan Stanley, Declan Chisholm, also possible. Uh, I don't think that these are earth-shatteringly elite quality futures in, in Winnipeg's perspective. But if you want to keep that window open for multiple playoff runs for a, for a lot of years, it's just difficult to look at you know, I just said that they're not untouchable for the right price, but it's difficult to look at what would happen if you're trading one, two, three of these prospects from that McGrory, Lucius, Lambert group, perhaps a first round pick as well. Let's say you land Timo Meyer, have a terrific deep playoff run. You don't win the Stanley Cup, and now you're sort of almost starting from ground zero with your prospect pool. If you're trying to optimize for make the playoffs many times over the next several years, you might want to hold on to your futures. If you're trying to optimize for, hey, just nudge those odds a little bit more in the favor of a cup right now, then then all in could be the place to be. Uh, Murad, I'm next here. And yeah, uh, Drew's got the comment up there. So I'm going to say it out loud so people can hear it, especially listening on the podcast, putting Ehlers on power play one. And you wrote about this on The Athletic. Ehlers needs more ice time. That's obvious. But what else do you personally need to see? And what do the Jets need to do to make this power play better? Because there's way too many weapons out there uh, for the Jets to be going one for seven against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And obviously, the second part of the question is the most important. Who is your favorite member of IC? <laughs> and then and then the Drew video cuts out. That's funny. Um, we we wanted so, to eliminate Drew. We wanted to get rid of Drew. Yeah. Remember the show, Eliminate? <laughs> this is like, there we go. Oh, there he is. Um, 
I don't know what you're doing to this guy over here. I don't, I don't know what, what it's like to be a Jew these days. Uh, I'll tell Great. you, I'll, I'll answer that question first, actually. Why why is my favorite member of, of Illegal Curve not Drew Mandel? It's because I see you walking your dog sometimes and you never wave back. I I'm, hey. I I know what parks wow. you frequent. I wow. know what neighborhoods you frequent. I see you wow. and the little dog walking this around. This huge breaking I'm, news. I'm like, honestly, a kilometer away going like this. And you don't wave back. Drew, I, 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 you can't hear me. I can't defend myself. This is outrageous. I've never once. <laughs> no, I, I would absolutely not only would I wave back, but there would be a stop and chat. Is what would happen. I don't know, Drew. It sounds like you're snubbing Murat. I'm what? not wow. snubbing. I have no Damn. idea. I'm completely in my own zone, my own world. I have no idea that this has been happening. This is a beef that I wasn't aware of. I was. I always aware wave to Murat when I see him. I can't see. I can't. I can't quite hear you right now, thanks to my technological ineptitude. But I assume you're digging, and you're digging, and you're digging, and I assume you've been unsuccessful. Um, <laughs> but so going going to Nick Ehlers and the power play. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> I didn't know. He says um, Nick Ehlers and the power play. I, I think that Winnipeg has. I mean, is ready for a personnel move, and and, and that's been discussed. And you're saying, well. What else is kind of going on in that unit right now? Um, the One of the keys, and there's a certain analytics-heavy group of fans that will think this is ridiculous, but one of the keys is the fact that Winnipeg is among the worst face-off teams in the NHL on the power play. And whether you attribute that to Shifley being below 50%, Dubois being 50% on the nose, or Winnipeg's wingers and other players not necessarily um, getting those winger wins, whatever it is, Winnipeg is amongst the worst teams in the NHL when it comes to winning those power play faceoffs. Now there aren't a ton of power play faceoffs, so the impact of needing to go back and you know 15 seconds, 20 seconds, go recover the puck, get back into the zone. I mean that shaves off meaningful time. If you look at the metrics and wonder, hey, why why would a team this good not have a lot of shots per minute? Why would they not have a lot of expected goals per minute? Part of that is because they're starting, you know, a lot of their power plays more than the other teams anyways, in turn, needing to go back and get the puck. Second part fits right into Nikolai Ehlers. If you watch them go back and get the puck of late, they're having mixed success with their zone entries, even at five on four with space. And, um, you know, that's easy to get upset about when a team is, is you know, scoring one of seven and then missing on on three five on threes you look at every little thing and you say well okay this this must be wrong but the jets could stand to improve their zone entries nikolai ehlers on that second unit is an enormous part of why let's say just recently um in in the loss they they took as many shot attempts as the first unit did in less than half the ice time and that's not because they're shoot happy and throwing all of this junk to the net a large part of that is just because they were able to get into the zone and keep it there. So um, for me, those are two keys that the Jets should have a little bit of control over, um, or sorry, that you would think that um, they're discrete. You can identify those sorts of things. And then the parts that Winnipeg probably has more control over is some of its shot selection. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm getting a little bit, uh, I've seen a play repeat itself a few times where Pierre-Luc Dubois is off to the side of the net and he doesn't look to the net. He goes straight across um, immediately on that power play. He's playing that bumper position. He's just beside the net. He's got his left-handed shot and he hasn't driven that puck to the net. That's one example. I'm not picking on Dubois unique. Everybody suffers from a little bit of this, 
But I think instead of looking for that backdoor pass all the time, if he drives that puck to the net a couple of times, some of those seams are going to open up. And when those seams aren't open right now for the Winnipeg Jets, so it kind of looks like they're standing around a little bit and just throwing the puck around, waiting for something to open up. I don't think they're forcing those seams to open as much. Murat Atesh of The Athletic is our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on this Saturday morning. Murat can't hear us, so we're typing our messages to him and then reading them aloud so that he understands what the questions are. Nothing will get in the way of a good Illegal Curve broadcast, let me tell you that, folks, that's for sure. You know what the funniest thing would be if Murat could hear us the whole time and he was just pretending that he could hear us? <laughs> okay, well, let's not confuse him because we got to get these questions in. We don't want to add no to idea. that. He has no idea why we're laughing. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to get my question in. Murat, you know, ESPN recently put out an article top 10 <laughs> nhl defenseman of 2023 execs players vote for the best josh morrissey was given an honorable mention he ended up with like 16 points so given what he's done this season what gives i mean what gives espn what gives everybody outside of the winnipeg market you know other than those who are frantically scrambling to like broadcast a game what are what are the jets stories um man I don't know. I have theories, okay? <laughs> Here are my theories. Theory number one, Winnipeg, small market. They only really pay attention to us when something's on fire. That's theory number one. It's cynical. It's a little overplayed, but there's something there, right? Mm -hmm. Theory number two, Josh Morrissey's excellence this season has predominantly been offensive. His defensive numbers are all right. His offensive numbers are phenomenal. That mirrors somebody who's having an even better offensive season, and that's Eric Carlson. So if you're looking for the player that is putting up a phenomenal number of points or what have you, um, and you know some of Morrissey's metrics may come down depending on who he's playing with. He didn't have tremendous chemistry with Neil Pionk early in the season, but his defensive metrics really aren't um, as elite as his offense is right now. So there's sort of a shinier version of the same analytical player in some ways with Eric Carlson putting up even more points. So that may be part of it as well. Um, I find that sometimes with these guys, people have to be on the radar of voters for multiple years or media members for multiple years before they start acknowledging them. Like, you know, uh, what would be a wonderful example of this? But you hear whether it's Eric Carlson himself, Patrice Bergeron, Ryan O'Reilly, these guys often put up elite numbers for two or three years, and then they make the voting um, they they make the voting uh, lists or, or what have you as well. So Morrissey may be new to that party as well. But yeah, what gives? I don't know. Let's let's go in Morrissey's own words. Ben Wallace in the NBA. Yeah. Ben Wallace was always so underrated that it, then when he finally got the not his notoriety, he became overrated. Sorry. Again, you can't Big hear ben. me, so this is very frustrating. <laughs> I like the Ben Wallace reference, Drew. That's good. It's poor, it's funny. Poor, poor, poor Murat. Uh, oh, sorry, Dave. I, I, this is funny. I can't hear you, and that should be the struggle. But every time I open my mouth to talk, that's when I feel like this is an awkward format for me and, and my technological issues. So, uh, so please excuse me. I just interrupted. What do you got? What was the question? I'm sorry. And now we're now we're paused because Drew's little sausage fingers are typing. Let's go, Drew. Nothing. I go, go, go. Whatever. <laughs> hang on. Um, <laughs> uh, hang on. Um, 
Somebody talk while, while I'm trying well, to type a question hold on. Like you were supposed to be writing out your question while Moret was talking, Drew. Yes, and I interrupted. And now, Moret, and now Moret's thrown off. He doesn't understand why we're talking. Our our main man, the lawman, is watching us from Vegas, and he's got a he screen grabbed this and said wrong captions only right now because uh, he's having a little fun with our technology technology dif- difficulties, as they say. So Moret's wondering what the hell I'm saying. The folks in the chat are wondering what I'm saying. I'm wondering what I'm saying. I mean, there's a lot going on, and Drew's sausage fingers continue to type. Hopefully a question at this point, Drew, because, yes, uh, you know, this is a hockey show. We want some questions. So get out your question already, already Mendel. I have a question for Murat, but somebody's going to have to type it out, so I don't know if it helps for well, you. Know, you, you, you know, you could have typed it out, right, in the private chat? Well, I can't, I can't post it, though. <laughs> ah. David Reddick, discuss. <laughs> With real-life um, examples. I'm sure... Everybody has uh, has listened to the audio, watched the clips of the David Riddick interview from the other day. Um, you know, was it Wednesday after practice where David Riddick is sort of, you know, he's he's hesitant. He doesn't he's pretending he doesn't want to get into the center of the media scrum. Maybe it's sincere, but he's playing a little bit coy. Some of his teammates are gathering around the scrum, just knowing he's a personality and knowing that something might happen. So Dylan DeMello walks by and he's like, hey, I'm just, I'm just sticking around. Like, good luck to you, fellas. And, um, and, and David Riddick says to the group, hey, uh, hey go, go ahead, please. Uh, smart questions. It would be the first time in this circle. And so he's <laughs> razzing the media right off the hop, which I got a kick out of. Nick Ehlers, like, it was almost a That 70s Show burn um, <laughs> response uh, from Ehlers as he walked by. And then Riddick... Um, you know, he had his laugh and he all of that stuff. And then he talked very sincerely about how it's been a process for him emotionally, mentally, preparation wise, transitioning from a time where he felt he was a starter, especially in Calgary when he took over that crease for a, for a good while, to being a backup in Nashville, uh, being a backup again here in, in Winnipeg. And he described that as a process, something he didn't always have on lock and you know, maybe the mental side of the game is can be contributing to why he looks like a completely serviceable, solid, reliable backup right now. I think he, you know, he's deserved better this week than even the one win that he already has. He's played really, really well, in my opinion. Even the one that went through him went through some traffic and a screen and it was against the grain. Um, so, I mean, I think that Winnipeg's past the point of wondering if he can can be good enough for that job. And, and now it's just kind of the David Riddick show. Whenever he opens his mouth, he seems to be confident, and it's uh, it's just a good time to hear him speak. I finally was able to type out a question. Here it is, Murat. For the Jets to be considered a true playoff threat, can it have Adam Lowry as its third-line center, given his offensive struggles? I mean, great question. And I, I think of this Ryan O'Reilly trade that the Toronto Maple Leafs just made, mm-hmm. and they – you know, I, I read Myrtle's piece on this, and he has Matthews, Tavares, and Ryan O'Reilly as centers one, two, and three. And I mean, that's a murderer's row right there, absolutely. And it's the sort of thing that you know you imagine on paper. Toronto might just Toronto, anyways, but on paper, that's as good of a center core as you can get. And you might imagine that, hey, with the Winnipeg Jets, if they were able to replicate something like that, if you could just snap your fingers, forget about the assets. Ryan O'Reilly's your third center. Adam Lowry's on four. And, uh, you know, Kevin Stenland, let's say, moves to the press box. As a result of that, you'd think, oh, my goodness, what a stacked team. And that Lowry-Baron duo or Lowry-Appleton, depending on how you think of it, um, the 
they're not so elite defensively that they can get away with not producing. They're very good defensively. They can play the tough minutes. They can give Winnipeg success in that role, but they're not impossible to get shots, scoring chances or goals against. So they've got to produce. And right now you're not really getting that from that group. Uh, Adam Lowry started the season hot offensively. That's faded a little bit. His power play numbers are low, but they're desperate for his face-off numbers at times. Kevin Stenling gets power play time for the same reasons. Um, and you would you would really like an upgrade there. I think the perfect player, if you could just write one from scratch, uh, you know, for the Winnipeg Jets fit-wise, would be somebody who can play second or third line minutes, is a right shooting forward, and can win face-offs, whether that's their primary job or not. And then, um, and then when the coach wants to pull Perfetti off when they're protecting leads or Nikolai Ehlers off the ice when they're protecting leads because they want a right shot who can muscle the puck out of the zone on that right wing boards, they can do that and they can get the center uh, coverage to add depth to that middle six as well. Um, so that's um, – are they good enough? Yes, because there's quality all over the lineup and, you know, they've got Connor Hellebuck and a puncher's chance in any situation – would you like that to be upgraded? By all means, uh, absolutely. You look with Toronto center depth with some envy right now, for sure. Last question. This one comes from Ezzy. Cole Perfetti hasn't scored a goal since January 21st. How come you I don't get to read it, Drew? Oh, I thought you wanted me to read it. You read it. Go ahead. I'm going to read it. Cole Perfetti hasn't scored a goal since January 21st. What have you seen in his game that needs to improve to help him get back to scoring? Yeah, it's, it's funny. He hasn't scored a goal in a while, and he's been playing great hockey. So my read on Cole Perfetti is he needs to shoot. Um, that, would be a, that would be a good start. I thought he played a, a really solid game. He's played solid since the All-Star game. Uh, sorry, All-Star break. Has come out with energy. He's been creating dangerous chances for himself, for his line mates. And then you look at the game score at the end of the day, and he hasn't, you know, a single shot, like in his most recent game. And he's not necessarily at least on paper, contributing to, to the offense in, in that particular way. But he's picking off passes. Um, he's making strong defensive coverage. Uh, he's helping his team play in the offensive zone. And there have been plays where he's attacking the zone with, with that trademark. His brain is moving really quickly, even though he's not a burner and he's creating opportunities. Like for Shifley the other day, Shifley gets a chance to cut into the zone. Nate Schmidt ends the shift with a with a shot that Corpus Allo turns aside. That whole sequence starts with a Perfetti play and a Perfetti pass. Um, what does he need to do to score? He needs to do all of that and create shot volume that he's absolutely not getting. Um, and, and that's on him. But at the same time, I've actually sort of processed his game as a little bit elevated since the break. And I think maybe it's a matter of keeping at what he's already been about. Murata Tesh is our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Murat, thank you. This will certainly go down as one of our most memorable interviews. And I promise you that any dog walking related snubbing was unintentional. And the next time I see you on a walk, I'm taking you for a drink. There that we is go. my commitment from me to you. I know you can't hear me, but I, we appreciate your time as always this morning. Yes. Heart-shaped emojis, love. I'm glad that you guys worked that out because, I mean, I was going to say to Murat, if he could hear us, I was going to say he has no idea how many people drew snubs. He snubs me all the time, and I've known him for 20-plus years. So uh, great interview with Murat, even though he couldn't hear us. Thank you, Murat. We'll let you get on with your Saturday. We'll see you again real soon. Uh, You're watching the Illegal (laughs) Curve Hockey Show, hour number two coming up next. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What a day. Uh, Thanks for having me.
Oh, gosh. Are you Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Jon Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party. Even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Hi, Ez. A strange question for you. But why are you lying on the ground being crushed by a piano? Well, Drew, I definitely tried to carry this baby grand piano down the stairs by myself, and somehow I failed miserably. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That was a silly question on my part. My apologies. Would you like me to call Rolly's Transfer Moving and Storage to help you move the piano? They are the most experienced piano moving company in Winnipeg, after all. Yes, please call Rollies and hurry. This piano is very, very heavy. Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage offers stress-free residential moving services while taking great care of your personal belongings, including your piano. At Rollies, no job is too big or too small. For more information, visit Rollies.com. Hi, it's Drew from Illegal Curve here. Selling your home can be stressful, but it wasn't for me. Thanks to my friends at Zapia Group Realty, they made the process so easy. My home sold within 48 hours and with multiple offers. Zapia Group Realty took care of everything with their exquisite customer service and attention to detail. If you want to sell your home for more in less time, get started by talking to Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Online at zapiagroup.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center, and they whitened my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs, from restorative to cosmetic dentistry, and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. So you're a pizza person, you married a wing person, but somehow your kids are salad people. You can't pick your fam, but you can pick your BP meal deal. Starting from $18.99 for takeout or delivery at bostonpizza.com. Hour number two of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsburg with you. That was wild, boys. That was absolutely something we've never The thing is, before. though, Drew, that was a great interview. Like, Murat couldn't yeah. hear us. But his answers were great, so really that's all that matters. <laughs> that's true. It's exactly right. There was a lot of insight shared. There was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of uh, back and forth, a lot of give and take. You know, we laughed. We cried. We exactly. cried again. It was quite it was quite the dramatic interview. Anyways, big thanks to Murat for joining us and powering through despite the uh, technical difficulties. I get Philip Smith in the wind, though, with his, uh, his, his tweet at us talking about uh, your snub of, of Murat, which will be – you know, living on yeah. in infamy. We're going to be talking about that for generations. And Philip said, you, Philip had it correct. He has you saying, I didn't know, but obviously not true. Because my, with me, he says, he knew. Ezzy, <laughs> Badrew, and Murat, he didn't wave. So good job on Philip for correctly assessing the situation. But just for the record, because now we can all hear each other. Because yes. Murat couldn't really hear us, though. Did you snub Murat or did you not notice him? Because it sounds like that wasn't just a one-time well, it's thing. It's multiple, it like, That's been never, like a serial snubbing. Look, I would never snub Murat. I would never snub anybody. Everyone that I've ever met, you know. That's a lie. You'd snub Ezzy. 
No, I wouldn't. You, I, you know very well that I love Ezzy with all my dear. No, he can't snub me because I would be hugging him and giving him a kiss on the cheek. He would so be he chasing me. He'd be chasing me, chasing after me, and I'd be running yeah, away. That's but, true. Uh, Brixton would think it was Godzilla coming after him. <laughs> that's true. I would never snub Murat. I swear, I'm completely oblivious when I'm on. I'm oblivious in, in the best of times. You I will. Snub, I will you snub Dave Shore in Kentucky, though. Ooh. No, that was different. He, I no, that's different. It's not like I yeah. saw him and I turned my back. He's like, "Let's go partying." I'm like, "I'm with my wife and kids and my in-laws. I'm not really in a partying place." Oh, well, that's not there's a snub. Difference there. That's, that's not. A, a yeah, snub. that's not. A snub. I think that was before Drew had kids, but I, I, I think there's a little revisionist history happening there, Dave. <laughs> Let's get back to Drew snubbing Marat, though. I was not snub. I would never snub Murat. I'm just completely in my own world. And, I, I, you know, I would just wander aimlessly half the time when I'm walking my dog. I All right. Enough with, your, enough with your defense. Let's move it along. Yeah, okay. Thank you. I just want to be clear for the podcast listeners and for when Murat goes back and listens to this after he can actually hear us. I would never deliberately snub him, nor would I deliberately snub anyone. Speaking of snubs, though. Yes. Nikolai Ehlers getting snubbed a little bit with that playing time. See that segue? See what I did that there? Was That's good. pretty good. That's, good. That's why you're the host. Go on. Nice little segue. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. You interrupted uh, yourself, but keep going. <laughs> I had to interrupt myself to compliment myself. No one yeah. else is going to compliment me, so I got to do it for myself. True. In any event, you know, obviously it sort of came to a head uh, on Thursday's game in, in Columbus where you mentioned the Jets were dominant five on five, but the power play was really what cost the Jets the game. I mean, you can't mm -mm. have that many opportunities five on four opportunities never mind five on three opportunities right. and not capitalize uh and, and and not capitalize like they did i mean going back for a month now so you go back i know it's cherry picking a little bit of time and everything but going back to january 18th the winnipeg jets power play is 26th in the nhl now they have some good company with some good teams down there like the lightning and the bruins and the stars and the golden knights so a bad power play doesn't necessarily mean disaster but think about where this Jets team would be over the last month if the power play was just a little bit better. You'd have at least two more points, right? <laughs> well, certainly from Thursday night, no question about it. So let me ask you guys this. Is it, you know, I think everybody agrees that Nikolai Ehlers needs to get more playing time and more power play one time. So how do you see maybe the change happening, uh, you know, between after Thursday's game and, and potentially before tomorrow in New Jersey? The team going to be practicing, and I think, in, a, in about an hour's time or so. 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock central time, yeah. uh, all the latest on illegalcurve.com. So how do you see this sort of change happening, given that what Brick Bonus said after the game, both Ehlers and Shifley like to play the, the same spot on the power right. play? Yeah, I, I mean, the one thing that we do know, boys, is that Rick Bonus said there is going to be personnel changes on the power plays. Yeah, we just don't know what those personnel changes are. But look, we talked to Murad about this, uh, you know, 10 minutes ago or whatever. Like, every, it's obvious to everyone now. And, and I think it's almost absurd that we were talking about this because I feel like we were talking this talking about this back in the days of TSN 1290. Like I'm talking three or four years back that Ehlers should be getting, you know, more power play one time. He needs mm -hmm. to be getting more ice time on the power play. So if that means, you know, power play unit two gets more ice time or power play unit two starts, obviously, you know, if some of the personnel that were on the first power play unit were on the ice when the penalty was called, that usually means power play unit two will start, but Ehlers has got to play more and, it's partly zone entries, but you know, Dave and I talked about this on on the post game show. He he needs to be on the first power play unit or get more power play time because he's one of the most skilled players on the Jets. Period, and he's got a great shot. So I would like to see more of that shot. I would like to see him out there more. Um, but I do think that the Jets need more of a net front presence. It's obvious, but they have to have more traffic in front of the goaltender. They need to get a little bit more greasy. 
they need to move the puck a little bit quicker and not maybe defer to, you know, making the, the really nice pass. So I think the power play is going to be fine. And I think it's a good point that you made, Drew, about some of the other teams over the last month who have been struggling on their power play. Because when you talk about Boston and Tampa Bay, those are the two teams that I have as the top Stanley Cup contenders in the entire league. Sure. Obviously, you know, those guys have a lot of, those teams have a lot of guys that can put the puck in the net, right? We don't have to go over that. But the Jets, I guess what I'm saying in a roundabout way is the Jets have way too much talent on both of those two power play units yeah. to be in one for seven and, you know, to be 25th in the NHL for the power play. They, they, they just have to get better. And you're right, Drew. They don't have to have a top five power play in the NHL to be successful and do well in the playoffs, but you, can, you definitely can't have a bottom five power play. Well, you know, what's especially perplexing to me, Dave, is, you know, and Murat touched on it, the difficulties with the zone entries. Well, yeah. Nikolai Ehlers is a zone entry king. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, if a team plays him too aggressively at the blue line, well, he's got the speed in, in which to, to just still break through there to, 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 you right. know, to, to make, to burn them yet. If they're too passive, then he, then they just gain it with, 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 you know, simplicity because they're playing off of them. It just seems like if zone entry is, is sort of the starting point on any power play clean zone entry. And it often is, even if you lose every face off and they dump the puck down the ice, you know, mm -hmm. and that takes 10 seconds. Well, if you're getting a clean zone entry, you know, after you retrieve the puck and he's the one bringing it in, well, yeah. then you're setting up your power play. I mean, you know, it's one thing to lose the face off and then not have an option for, uh, not have an option to get a clean zone entry. You know, that that's sort of compounding the problem. So it right. seems like, you know, if, if face offs are your issue, then you get a guy who, who's a zone entry machine and you've at least solved half of your problem. Uh, yeah, I mean the the power play is is perplexing. I think that's the the best way to to phrase it. And they're still, I think, what is he the sixteenth overall power play mm -hmm. in the NHL or something like that? So yeah, middle of the pack, fallen, whatever it is, sixteenth, fifteenth, yeah. yeah, yeah. So even though they've fallen, you know, on hard times of late in the last month, they they just you know were they obviously had been doing had been uh, firing enough early in the season that that they had built themselves up a nice little reserve unlike last year where if you remember the pk was so atrocious uh to start the season that they could never recover mm -hmm. and even though they were playing much better towards the middle and end it was it had done so much damage they could never you know recover from it but look i mean it's one of those things that we've talked about and ezzy and i spent a significant amount of time on thursday's show discussing the power play because that was the difference in the hockey game and and that's you know, the fact of the matter is that the Jets are in a comfortable position. And so you're not sitting there hitting a panic button because they lost to Columbus and Columbus swept the season series. I mean, look, Columbus had just beaten the Leafs. Columbus had beaten, I don't remember who else they'd beaten. So they, and Corpus Allo played well. You've got to give him credit. But the reality is they didn't make it difficult for him. So what was the number one thing we talked about, Ezzy? The number one thing they talked about, because they had the shots. They had nobody in front. They had nobody taking away Corpus Allo's eyes. So the entire time he would see those shots, there was no one screening the net. It was crazy. Like it's one thing I understand. Every once in a while, look, Kyle Connor beat him without a screen on on the on the power play that ended toward it was, it was five on four at that point. Yeah, with, with one point with one point one, yeah. no one point six seconds right. to go in the period. But the fact of the matter is that, and that happens. Look, uh, Patrick Liney did the same on the Pierre Luc Dubois uh, power play uh, or penalty where he scored without a screen in front. Guys can score. I'm not saying it's impossible. But the reality is it makes it a lot more difficult when you have the numbers advantage. You don't need five guys on the perimeter. You need four guys on the perimeter and you need one guy in front taking away the goaltender's eyes. And if you take away the goaltender's eyes, even if you even if he makes a save, it potentially sets up for a greasy goal. And that's what the Jets need to do because it's too much too pretty 
And that's what they're doing right now. And you need to get back to simplicity. And what's simplicity? You fire a shot on net. You have a guy in front. He bangs home a rebound. There's literally nothing more simplistic in terms of hockey than that. And that that's what they're not doing. They don't have that guy. And look, they have big guys. Pierre-Luc Dubois, big guy, could be put in front. You know, they've got uh, Adam Lowry, if you want him on the power play. Blake Wheeler. Yeah. Blake, Blake Wheeler's, Wheeler's played that role before. Shifley's a big boy. Like, th- what you're saying, Dave, if I'm not mistaken, is that the structure and the foundation of the power play is good. It's mm. You need, need to get a little bit more traffic, make it a little bit more difficult for the goaltender, and I think have a little bit more of a, a shoot-first mentality. And it sounds like, even if it sounds simplistic, I mean, I think it's obvious. Like, it would be one thing if we were talking about, you know, the Jets don't just don't have enough good shooters on the team. Well, that's obviously not the issue with Connor and Shifley and right. Ehlers and Perfetti. Even Wheeler's, you know, shown us a, a good shot, even though he's more of a, a pass-first type of player, right? So it's not like the Jets don't have a, a you know, a, an abundance of game breakers and power play scores. They have that. They need to, I, I think, just make it a little bit more difficult and not play on the perimeter so much. And I think also when the Jets were at successful in the power play earlier in the season, they were scoring early in power plays. Like they were they were moving the puck quickly and they were getting the shot that they wanted and they were scoring within the first, you know, 20 to 30 seconds of the power play. And we're not seeing that now. And one for seven definitely stands out. So we have the recency bias here, but mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what changes Rick Bonus makes before Sunday night's game against the Devils. The Devils are pretty good uh, penalty killing team. I don't know if they're they're top ten, but they're pretty good. I know that as a as a Devils fan. But you got to think that the the power play is going to have an impact in this game as well. And if it doesn't, it's going to have a, a you know there, there's going to be power plays in the Rangers game or the Islanders game or when they play Colorado at home, right? Like this is a, a if there's one area that I would say with this Jets team that I'm the most concerned about, it's it's the power play. I mean, I think you know people are talking about you know the lack of scoring in the bottom six. The Jets have such good scoring in their top six that you just need to augment that before the trade deadline and you know bring in whoever it is, James Van Riemsdyk, Brock Besser, Timo Meyer, whoever, and I think they're fine. But this power play, it's been struggling for a while now. You know, Drew mentioned it's just it's not just one game or two games. We're talking about you know 10, 15 games here. Well, you know, you and you talk about the upcoming schedule, Ezzy. The next eight games for the Winnipeg Jets, starting tomorrow night in New Jersey are all against playoff teams. The New York Islanders are back in a playoff spot uh, after they struggled so much this season. I know, and the, and those le- bottom spots in, in the Eastern Conference are, are moving on a daily basis. So there's no guarantee that when the Jets actually face the Islanders, they're still going to be in a playoff well, spot. Well, and Washington doesn't have Ovechkin and, and Tom Wilson right now, so that right. hurts them. Well, you look at it. I mean, Pittsburgh and the Islanders each have 63 points. Washington and Florida. Florida's on a bit of a heater as of late. They have uh, they have 62 points. Even Detroit's still there with 60 points. So they're, uh, you know, and they have some games in hand. So Detroit and Pittsburgh all have games in hand. Buffalo has games the in Red hand. The Red Wings, too. I think, are only three points back. They are. They're three points back, and they have yeah. four games in hand on the Islanders. Uh, you know, so the Penguins and the Red Wings all have games in hand on the Islanders, Capitals, and Panthers. My point is, the, the, you know, the schedule from now, you know, right through the beginning of March is, is a difficult one for the Winnipeg Jets. And it was a couple of weeks ago we touched on the fact that the Jets schedule, uh, I think it was right around the All-Star break, we said the Jets schedule for the remainder of the season was one of the hardest schedules in the entire NHL. The Dallas Stars one, I think, was the easiest, if I recall correctly. But the Jets don't uh, face a non-playoff team until Monday, March 6th against the San Jose Sharks. 
So you look at the upcoming schedule, you know, you got obviously the three game trip through New, uh, through New York or the metropolitan New York area right now. You come home to face the Avalanche. You come home, you got the Islanders again, a team that we just talked about, the Kings. And then you have that back to back against the Oilers, the home and away on the Friday, Saturday, the Friday being the trade deadline, of course. It's going to so be like this, a little mini playoff series. Well, this is a this is a very, you know, th- this Jets, you know, need to recapture every aspect of their game. And I'm not saying that they're, you know, on the verge of of some horrendous slide because I don't see that happening. They just, there's been no indication that that's going to be a factor. You know, the five-on-five play, which of course the vast majority of games are still played at five-on-five, has been pretty good as of late. It was good against Seattle. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, against the Blackhawks, that doesn't count because it's Chicago. It was good against Columbus. But, you know, when... You know, there are going to be times where your five on five isn't stellar, especially when you play against some of these more difficult teams that you'll need to rely on your power play opportunities and you'll need to take advantage of those opportunities because this Jets schedule. I mean, you look at it even into March, there are, you know, until, uh, you know, the last the, the latter half of March until really uh, Saturday, March 18th where you got it back-to-back against Nashville and St. Louis. Both teams will be out of it by that point in time. We know St. Louis is already, already out the of the flag. Too. I know they are, but, I mean, Nashville might even trade some more guys by then. Right. St. Louis is already doing so. Then you got Arizona and Anaheim, you know, San Jose. you got a couple harder games, you know, one game against the Kings mixed in there. But from now until, really, for the next month, from now until the 16th of, of March, these games are all against some very difficult teams for the most part, and against the Eastern Conference, where the Jets have really not had a yeah, lot of success. They're below 500. The You're absolutely right. Like, like I'm with you. Like, nobody's talking about the Jets falling out of a playoff spot. But this next month here yeah. is really going to determine whether the Jets finish first in the division, second in the division, or third in the division. Yeah. Or, you know, if, if they're under 500, they might even slip into a wild card spot. Again, I'm not saying that they are going to, but they're going to have to play better. And you're right, Drew. I mean, against Seattle, against Chicago, I mean, the, the power play, I mean, a game in which you have seven power play opportunities and you only score once, that's when it really hurts you. Because most of the game, we talked about it, Columbus got a lot of power plays too. They got five, right? Mm-hmm. So almost half of the game or more than half of the game was, you know, played with an ex, with a man short. So I think they got to figure this out. I, I do think, I told Dave, you know, off air, my prediction is the Jets go two and one for the rest of this road trip. I think they beat the Devils. The Rangers, they've always had trouble. Going back to your uh, bachelor party in 2011, Drew, the Jets have always had trouble. And the Rangers, by the way, have won six games in a row. Seven, seven. Sorry, seven games in a row. They beat the Oilers yesterday. Right, seven games. You're right, Drew. Uh, Pardon me. You're you're right, Dave. I I misspoke there. Dave, I'm Drew. And I think they beat the Islanders. So I think they'll go two and one over these next three games, but it's definitely not going to be easy because all of these three teams, as you mentioned, Drew, are playoff teams and they're trying to improve their playoff standing. Well, let me ask you guys this. How much stock do you put into this, you know, uh, it's not it's not even a narrative, it's fact about the Jets struggling against the Eastern Conference. Is that something that's just sort of happened It's not a narrative, it's the truth. Well, that's what so I'm saying. It's the... not exactly. It's statistically <laughs> it's the statistics. So why yeah. are they struggling against the East? Is it something that's really like that they they just don't match up well against those type of teams or is it I something I think it's partly that, but I also think the East is really good. Okay. <laughs> right? Like that has a lot to do with like you could argue that four or five of the best teams in the NHL right now are are in the East, right? We know who oh. those teams are. I mentioned I, I put Boston and still Tampa at the top of that list, but I think you're putting Carolina in that list. I think you're putting uh the Rangers in that list. And who else am I forgetting here? 
Uh, did I say the Leafs? I forget. The Hurricanes. But the Hurricanes, I think yeah. I mentioned. But yeah, know, the Leafs, Leafs, Hurricanes, Bruins, Lightning. The top six, uh, and basically. Rangers. The top yeah. six in the Atlantic and the Metro. Yeah. And, the, and then with the wildcard teams being probably similar to some of the better teams in the in the Western Conference. The East is certainly the better of the two conferences this year. So that, you know, it could just be as simple as you're right. The Jets are playing against better competition in the, when they play the East. And that's why they're struggling. Right. And obviously the blue losing twice to the Blue Jackets. I mean, that's one of the worst teams in the league. So that's unacceptable. For some reason, the Jets have really struggled against CBJ. Maybe, you know, Patty Line scoring goals has something to do with that. The revenge factor. I'm obviously joking a little bit, but I mean, look, they should have scored at least a couple more goals last game. Corpusalo, like we talked about it, the goal save above expected. It was something like 3.9, Dave, or four for Corpusalo. So that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, when you think about it, the Jets expected goals were, I think they had two, 2.5 more expected goals than the Blue Jackets. So look at, I think the power play is going to be fine. I think they'll turn it around, but it's really going to be interesting to see what exact personnel changes Rick Bonus made. Because when you go one for seven against the Blue, Blue Jackets, Dave, you know that changes are coming. Well, so let's talk about that. We got a few minutes before we have to take our final break of the show. So what changes do you think happened there, Dave? We talked about, you know, Bonus talked about it. You know, he talked about Ehlers and Shifley like playing the same. Ask me in an hour, I'll sound like a genius. Yeah, well, yeah, you and me both, of course. But I mean, so, you know, how do they retool this? Because I mean, you know, there's, you know, how, you know, who do they move to other positions or who do they take off of the the first power play unit to account for, you know, to, to bring Ehlers in and or account for the fact that Ehlers and Shifley like to play the same position. Can one of them move to maybe the middle, to the slot position, you know, in the umbrella power play that, that the most teams run right now in the NHL? Is there room for both of them? Maybe there isn't room for both of them on the first power play unit. That's not, I mean, it, it's hard to believe, but it's not impossible. So, they, you know, who do you think is the first player who's likely to, get uh, shifted around uh, when practice starts in about 40 minutes? It's it's a hell of a good question, Drew, because honestly, like, I really don't know. I mean, like, you could say maybe you want a little more speed, so you take Blake Wheeler out, but Blake Wheeler's, of course, a very good facilitator, as you've talked about during the show. So, I mean, is he the guy who's coming off, uh, and, and are you replacing him with Nikolai Ehlers? Are you, like... You know, again, are you mixing it up entirely? Are you just going to mix up the, the 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 composition and try and have a little more balance throughout the course, and maybe I don't know, move a couple of guys off PP one and then move them to the PP two, and 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 do that kind of fix? Like I said, to me, the first power play unit. The problem is like replacing Kyle Connor with Nikolai Ehlers, or you know, Blake Wheeler with Nikolai Ehlers. Like, I mean, Ehlers obviously has a way better shot than than Blake Wheeler. Not even a question there. So to me. Dave, Connor, hold on one second though. Connor is the one guy. No, 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 no. You're not. You're not. You're not. You're not I, what I'm suggesting is that he's he's just a very similar player to Kyle Connor. Of course, you're not replacing Kyle Connor off PP one. But what I'm saying is that Ehlers brings. If they take Kyle same, Connor off of PP one tonight, then I no, might no, as well no, just go jump I'm, in the Assiniboine River. I'm, I'm, well, you wouldn't jump hit very the, far because you, you would just hit the ice. You wouldn't. Really well, actually, no. There far. is a part right along the shore when you're crossing the bridge that is actually open water, so you could uh, actually jump into. I don't know the if you knew this, Drew, but Dave is a longshoreman. <laughs> my point is that you know you're not going to move those are very complimentary players very similar and you're not going to do that so um, yeah, the, the obvious guys wheeler like come on no here. wheeler like, would be the wheeler would be the guy who who to me would be moved off and then what you do is you bring ehlers in but again like i said does ehlers solve the the lack of ability to go for someone on that first power play unit to be in front of the net i mean if, if you're going to bring ehlers in you have to tell pierre luc dubois he's got to park himself in front of that net and not move 
and create, and he's got to create that distraction because if he doesn't, and if you're just bringing Ehlers in to be another perimeter shooter, then you're not really solving the problem. And you keep, if you keep Pierre-Luc Dubois high, you know, between the dots, that's not going to do anything for you because you're not taking away the goaltender's eyes. So if, if Pierre-Luc Dubois is prepared to park himself in front and then let those guys shoot, well, then you're, then you maybe have something, but if you're not going to have someone taking away the eyes of the netminder, then I don't really care who you replace with whom because it's not going to change the fortunes of the team. I bet you Dubois scores a goal on the power play tomorrow night against the Devils, tips a Josh Morrissey point shot in. It's going to happen. You know that these guys... Your predictions never happen, in fact. Well, it's not a Ginsburg guarantee. He's just making a prediction. Well, let me ask you this. Could you foresee a circumstance where the Jets, rather than loading up one of the power play units... Mix it up? Make, almost have two... I'll, instead of having a one and a two, almost try and go with a one A one B uh, sort of power play setup. Maybe use a guy like Cole Perfetti in, in a more uh, pronounced situation. Maybe you know they take two guys off of that first power play unit. And again, I, I, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just wondering if m- instead of going you know a, a minute forty twenty seconds or a minute thirty thirty seconds, they yeah. try and go more of a minute one, one. a minute to give each more power play time i mean I, I don't know that that's the solution from my perspective uh i just don't know that they have enough Ke- well kevin stanley is not the solution on second power well, that's play what i'm saying i don't know they i have realize he's personnel. a good face-off guy and everything like that and when adam lowry is playing as much as he plays on the penalty kill but i prefer lowry on that power play unit i'm i, I mean maybe that's just me you know the chat might disagree you boys might disagree but no you're absolutely right and it goes back to what i said and it's the Jets coaching staff that has to figure this out. It's not us that has to figure out. We can talk <laughs> about it all we want. I mean, these guys are paid to figure out the, the power play, right? There's just way too much skill on this team. Like you mentioned, Group, Perfetti's on the second power play unit. He's got a great shot. He's got great vision. He can set plays up. Mm-hmm. Maybe Perfetti ends up getting more power play time on that first unit. But it's just, it's got to be better. We talked about it. Over the last month, 25th in the NHL, it's just, to me, it's unacceptable with the amount of forward talent the Jets have. It certainly is going to be something to pay close attention to when the Jets practice in about 30 or so minutes time, all the latest from the Jets practice. I think they're in, where are they practicing today? New York, New Jersey, one of the two. I'm not in New Jersey. Jersey. Okay, wherever they practice today, uh, all the latest will be on IllegalCurve.com. And we remind you, of course, that the Illegal Curve postgame show coming your way tomorrow night, right around 8.45 p.m. back here on our YouTube channel. Stay with us as we discuss the Jets and the Devils tomorrow night. When we come from Canada Life. What's that? Live from Canada Life. Why live from Canada Life? Because I'll be at the Moose game. I don't understand. Well, I'm saying I'll be doing the post game show. There's from a the moose game, game at the same time. Dave's going to do the post game show after the moose game from the. Oh, arena. the moose game tomorrow is at six o'clock. Yeah, I didn't. Re- I thought it was a two o'clock start, but it's a six o'clock start. So. Oh, I didn't realize that. I knew Monday's game's a two o'clock start. Yeah, I'm going to be there on Monday, but I didn't yeah. realize that. Well, you're going to be there, Drew, because it's superhero day. Well, I am. You, you have to wear I'm, your cape. That's right. I'm dressing up as myself and letting people come uh, gather around and take pictures with me. Uh, the children are going to be very, very disappointed, but it's something to look forward to nonetheless. Uh, when we come back, our good friend Jeff O'Neill joins us on the program. Stay with us. O-Dog up next. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Saturday morning, we're live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Bottom of hour number two, Jeff O'Neill, the O-Dog, going to join us momentarily. 
Drew Mandel, Dave Manuke, Ezra Ginsburg with you on this Saturday morning. A bit of a raucous show so far. We always appreciate everyone that's joined us, whether you're just joining us in the chat, whether you're just tuning in. Maybe you don't want to participate in the chat. And frankly, I couldn't blame you at all for that. But if you are, then we always appreciate your contributions to this fine Just make program. sure you smash that like button, folks. Come on. I, right. There's a lot of over 300 people in the chat right now and haven't even had 100 likes. So, uh, tat, let's go, Tatel. Yeah, you do not want to get Dave M. angry at you. Then uh, hell hath no fury. It's a great Seinfeld reference right there, Dave. <laughs> Anyways, as I was saying, hell, Val, hell hath no fury like a Dave Manuk scorned. Uh, the moose, or, of course, or stealing O-Dog's truck from his driveway. I wouldn't want to see him after that either, Drew. That's true. He just wanted his golf clubs back, though. That's all he wanted back. I saw that. that he uh, Don't steal people's trucks, folks. You guys know there was a stadium series game today? Yep. <laughs> Carolina. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you knew. That's near I, I, your home state of Kentucky, Drew. Well, it's really not, but uh, yeah. I mean, have you North looked Carolina's at the map recently? pretty close, isn't it? I mean, you know, it, it's I everything they in the U.S. is the relatively... The two states touch. The they border each other, touch. don't they? Oh, No, okay. North Carolina does not border Kentucky. I was never good in geography either. Uh, clearly. And you're, you're <laughs> As you remember what happened last time you made a mistake about Kentucky? You gotta got to be careful here, bud. Yes. No, what you could have said is that my it's wife... It's in the water, to, bud. My wife went to grad school in, in North Carolina. That That's true. Uh, and we've spent some time in Raleigh. That would also be factually accurate. But no, Kentucky and North Carolina do not uh, border each other. But it was a good effort. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, a C for the execution. So relatively maybe, close, though. Everything's relatively close. There's an entire well, state. No, California in- is not close to North Dakota. Fine, that would be true. But I mean, it, when you're in that sort of part of the United States, most states are within, you know, for the eight hours that we drive to Minneapolis, you can get basically almost anywhere in the eastern seaboard of the United States from uh, from Kentucky. I feel like Laura hours. needs to like buy me a map of the U.S. <laughs> well, I'd be concerned if my wife was buying you gifts, I'll be honest. But, uh, you know, somebody needs to buy you a map or you can look at a globe or they have the Internet. now. The reason why I said Laura has to buy me one is because I can't afford one. That's why I was saying that. But you could buy me one, too, or Dave, somebody in the chat. Now, I'm curious. Did you actually drop an Egg McMuffin on the floor? No, I did not. I could go for an Egg McMuffin. But no, I did not actually drop an Egg McMuffin on the floor. Okay, then I have a follow-up question to that. Earlier, you were drinking coffee, and it looked like you were drinking coffee out of like a regular ceramic mug that doesn't look like a travel mug. Which leads me to two questions. One, are you just bringing ceramic mugs with you from your house out and about? Or two, is Dave now making you coffee every morning when you come to do the show? It's a good question. Dave does not make me coffee. Dave, as you know, or maybe you don't know, or the chat probably doesn't know, Dave doesn't drink coffee. I knew so that. Dave did not make me coffee, but my Contigo mug was lost. Or maybe I threw it out because it was too old and stained and it was just not good anymore. So what I did was I brought coffee in a water bottle. Oh, Jesus. And then Dave lent me one of his mugs and then I poured it into the mug. So that's what happened. Is this similar to like seven years ago when I showered with a hose? And then as he got upset because I don't have a microwave, so he uh, couldn't warm up his coffee. Want to use my toaster oven. I'm going to say you need a travel mug more than you need a map. That would be that would be my first comment initially. And I love that you brought it in a water bottle because that water bottle is now ruined. You, you can't use that water bottle anymore. So you know, it's like it's like when Homer puts the leather patches on his on his uh, on his jacket uh, on the Simpsons episode and manages to ruin both jackets at the same time because he actually <laughs> cut the leather patches out of a leather jacket uh, to do so. So good job on your part there, Ezzy. Uh, that was well done. And I know what you're getting for your birthday, nonetheless. Uh, you want to check in on Jeff if, if you don't mind to see if he's uh, up and going to be joining 
joining us momentarily. Yeah, I just sent him a text. Uh, I gave him a little bit of a wake-up call this there morning. We go. So he, he should be joining us momentarily, I think. There he is. From TSN 1050 Overdrive, a good friend of ours, Jeff O'Neill, joins us on the program. Jeff, are you a coffee drinker? Yeah, I have my first cup at 5 a.m. And probably just it continues until about 10 a.m. So 5 a.m. Why are you up so early, my man? I don't know. I just it's a it's a cycle, though, like up early uh, by nine o'clock at night. I'm kaput, like done. <laughs> and I work until seven. So that basically means watching the majority of the first like Eastern Conference game. Then it's pretty much game over. <laughs> That's it. As long as nothing ever of interest happens in the third period, you're fine, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. A lot oh, of Sports Center highlight catch ups in the morning. Jeff, are you currently in a robe? No, buddy. I'm in a hoodie. Come on, dude. <laughs> I couldn't see it. It looks like a little bit of a robe. I wasn't the only one. Drew, Dave, I thought O-Dog might have just come out of the shower or something. No. No. Shower happens on Sunday. I give myself a break on Saturday. Interesting. That's a, that's a good policy. <laughs> For me, it's usually the opposite. Usually it's Sunday is my day off of showering and, and, you know, I like to keep myself clean for Saturday, but I can appreciate where you're coming from. Uh, Jeff, we obviously got to talk about the, the news of the day from around the NHL and everything else. Uh, the Leafs, they make the big splash, you know, obviously uh, this is a big splash when it comes to Toronto acquiring uh, Ryan O'Reilly, acquiring Achari. Your thoughts when you saw the trade go down uh, late last night, did they overpay? Is this what they needed to do? Doesn't matter what the cost is. Damn the torpedoes this season. You got to You got to win no matter what. You know what? I think when you haven't had success and had the, like you haven't been able to get out of the first round, like if you want to, let's just talk about the addition first, like bringing Ryan O'Reilly into the mix, pretty versatile player. And you look at him having the ability to maybe play left wing with Tavares at times centering the third line at times, maybe centering the second line at times. It's just when you add another quality piece like that, and Sheldon Keefe has been known as kind of like a guy that, that tinkers with the lines a bit and tries different combinations. And it's just a nice piece to have when you talk about four-on-four play, killing penalties, a different element on the power play if needed. So the, the price is what it is, man. It's like that's that's the that's the price of playing ball these days as far as acquiring a player like that. You look at in the years past, like Ben Sherratt, it's like you want to get that guy, it's a first-round pick. So it's like the, the, the price is what it is. And Achari is another valuable guy. I think that, you know, this is a big uh, – I'm not sure what goes on out in Winnipeg, but this is a big analytics community around here. And I'm not sure what they think about Noel Achari, but – an old school person like myself, just a just a tough right-handed player that plays with with grit and understands what it takes to win. And he just brings some a little bit of mojo. It's like they played Boston a couple of weeks ago and they were terrible. It didn't have their best stuff. But I think when you bring in a guy like that, the idea of pushing them around, I don't think it happens that much. So it's just both of those guys, they add so much. And as far as the price guys, that's just what you got to do. And you would have to think like there's so many unknowns coming up for the Maple Leafs, like Kyle and his contract. Like I, I, I just love the idea where it hasn't been working in the playoffs. So let's just put the chips all in here. Is there more to come? I'm sure the fans hope so, but let's just see what this does and how this can help the hockey team. 
And I agree with you 100%, O-Dog, because, you know, people are saying maybe the Leafs gave up too much, but you got the 2019 Conn Smythe Trophy winner. And Noel Achari, as you mentioned, he's a guy, I think, you know, you would agree too, that the playoff experience with both the Bruins and the Panthers, right? Like he brings that sandpaper, but he also brings that playoff experience. And that's what the Leafs need. And I was talking to Drew and Dave about this, like, to me, like Kyle Dubas had, you know, you have to beat Tampa Bay in the first round. Like you're not thinking, you know, necessarily, you know, we're acquiring Ryan O'Reilly to win the Stanley Cup. Obviously, that's the ultimate goal. But as you mentioned, you got to get out of the first round. So I guess the question I was going to ask you is, does that make them now better than Tampa Bay? Or maybe, you know, another way to say it is, is are they now good enough to beat Tampa Bay in the first round? Izzy, I think the only thing you can do is improve your chances. And I, I try to explain this to some people that, the idea is just to get in because I'm pretty sure teams in the East, the year Tampa Bay was just crushing everyone and they had a hundred and something points thought, Oh man, what the hell are we going to do when we play those guys? Guess what? They got swept in the first round by the Columbus blue jackets. So stupid things happen in the playoffs. You might get an injury to the key player for the Boston Bruins that might affect their play, even getting through the first round, let alone surviving the second um, the, the, like just a, a key injury to a goaltender or something like weird things. You can't look at it as, oh my God, how are we going to play these two giants in the Atlantic division? And how are we ever going to survive it? It's just a defeatist attitude. And you might as well not play competitive pro sports if that's going to be the approach. So I think just aligning yourself and giving you the, yourself the best chance. So even if everybody's healthy, they're looking at you saying, man, that Toronto team up front, that's a pretty good team, and we're going to have a tough time matching up against that. And God forbid if something does happen, like I just mentioned, it just increases your chances even better. But you bring in a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, just an experienced guy. He's just a great add to the mix and really brings a different element. Jeff O'Neill, the O-Dog from TSN 1050 Overdrive, is our guest Saturday morning. We're on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, where you're watching us live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms, and, of course, the podcast edition available shortly after the show wraps up. Well, Jeff, we're a Winnipeg-based show, so we got to ask you about the Winnipeg Jets and uh, what you're seeing from this team from afar. Of course, fans are losing their minds after they went one for seven on the power play, including three five-on-threes, which they failed to score on, but... What are you seeing from the Jets? And what, in your mind, when you look at the Winnipeg Jets, what is your what is your big need for them in terms of an ad? I think you look at both positions. Obviously, they are locked in maybe better than any other team as far as their goaltender. And if you can just, like, here in the with the Raptors, they've been talking about bringing in Pirtle, kind of that rim protector guy. If you can get one more guy back there that can help kind of protect the front of the net for Connor Hellebuck. And if you could just possibly add to I love their forward group I've, I've said it and this is the last year guys I am going to say it about the Winnipeg Jets that I still believe because I've been saying it forever saying you know what this forward group like how are you going to contend with these guys and it seems like they've gotten by all the nonsense from the beginning of the season there have been some ups and downs lately but I would rather have a team struggle right now just before kind of the playoffs and then get it together it's kind of a it's, it, it might not sound good to Winnipeg fans, but this is a good – if you're comfortably in and you're, you're, you're not, like, really struggling for points, it's not a bad time to struggle because it allows you to get it back on track and then you could maybe make an acquisition to help that forward group or help the defense. Whatever way, like Chevy, you know, he's been there a long time too. When is his, when is his moment going to be let's put the chips all in here as opposed to – I mean – 
correct me if I'm wrong, but when is the last massive splash that they've made at the deadline? What has it been? Yeah, Kevin probably, Kevin Hayes. Yeah. Or going back to 2018, Paul Stastny, which actually led to success. But yeah, the last big move they would have made was the Kevin. I mean, we're not talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois, Patrick Laine here, but prior to the trade deadline, 2019 with Kevin Hayes. I mean, even if you asked your fan base, would they say that's like an all-in, chips all-in type of moment? I don't think so. So why not give it a shot? And the way I've described the Winnipeg Jets, like maybe this could be their Washington Capital type year where people are maybe closing the window on them and all of a sudden they just say, you know what, we're going to put it together. They have the goaltender to do it, so why not push everything in? Because when guys like Timu Meyer and, and different star players have come up, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze, who knows, I don't hear the Winnipeg, J- the, the Winnipeg Jets name a lot. It's all different teams. Why not throw your name in the hat and just say, we want to be a part of this? Why can't they go out and get a guy like Timu Meyer? I think they have the cap space to do it this year. It's just they like, did. why not? Mm-hmm. Throw your name in the hat and create a buzz there. There's a buzz in Toronto. Create your own buzz in Winnipeg. Jamie McLennan has been talking about them the last couple of weeks saying they could do something big and make something happen. And if you're a fan of the team, and I'm sure you guys wouldn't mind it either, go ahead and try to make something happen. <laughs> Even if you don't, at least attempt it, which I'm sure Chevy's doing. It certainly we get tongues, tongues of wagging, Jeff. You know, what does it do to a dressing room when you acquire guys like, you know, Ryan O'Reilly or Noel Achari, but you don't subtract anyone from the active room? You know, what, 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 you know, obviously it juices the dressing room, but, you know, does it, does it provide even extra, uh, uh, energy when you don't actually have to lose somebody that you've been fighting with, uh, you know, for the, for this many games so far this year? Yeah, I mean, you look at the 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 Bo Horvat transaction. They're pretty happy that they brought in a good player like that, but it cost uh, um, who's the young Barzell, his best friend in Beauvillier, going the other way. So he might be a little bit pissy that his best friend's out of the locker room. Um, but when you bring in a key piece, and guys, I was a part of a team. It was so frustrating for a long time in Carolina, where those were the days of watching the Colorado Avalanche and the Detroit Red Wings and the New York Rangers, and whoever else, maybe the St. Louis Blues in the West, they loaded up every year. And we just sat there, and it's like, yeah, we required a, we acquired a minor league defenseman from the Philadelphia Flyers. And it's you actually don't feel like you're a part of the mix. It's just So when, when you do something like this, it really energizes everybody, A, and you really feel confident, like you just look at your roster and the star players that are around there. You're like, we got as good as chances anybody. And we talked about the idea in 2023 of just getting in. Like, that's the idea. You get in and all kinds of weird things can happen. We've talked about Gary Bettman's format here where it's like, after the first round, there's some good teams that are gone. Like, mm-hmm. some real quality teams are out of the playoffs and then everything just shrinks up from there. And then all of a sudden you're looking, there's eight teams left. And you're like, couple upsets, couple this, couple that. Who knows, man? Anything could happen. You guys look at the West this year. Like, who <laughs> yeah. really scares anybody out there right now? Nobody. It's wide The only open. team I think you could point to is, is Colorado. You know what? If, if Edmonton if get could get going. some goaltending, watching what yeah. McDavid and Dreisaitl did last year, that would scare the hell out of me too. But who knows what's going to happen in net with them. It's wide open out there, man. So yeah. if I'm the Jets, I'm looking at that as a situation where we probably have the best goaltender out there, maybe hands down. So let's make a move. I think it would be fantastic. 
you know, sorry, I'm going to skip ahead for a second here, Jeff. And you talked about the West Calgary. You know, what do you make of Alan Walsh coming out with his comments, defending Jonathan Huberto and really putting, uh, you know, Daryl, Daryl Sutter and Brad for living on blast earlier this week. What do you, you know, you know, is that a sign that things are just really rotten in, in that room? You know, what's your, what's your perspective when you see an agent coming out and doing that? Well, first of all, Alan Walsh, it's just, for him, I believe it's a distraction. It's a distraction to take away from the lack of production from one of his clients. And he cares a lot about his clients. There was the episode at the World Juniors where he was like, my guy doesn't have his equipment, Air Canada, figure it out. And everyone was like, how dare you? And he's like, I don't care about those tweets that come my way. Because my job, I get paid a lot of money to get that guy's equipment back. And guess what? He got his equipment back. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, the motivation, I think, is a distraction out in Calgary. But at the end of the day, they got to figure something out there and rather quickly because the team's not playing well. Huberto's not playing well. And they've got a bunch of offensive guys that aren't contributing like they used to. And obviously with Lindholm playing with Kachuk and Gaudreau last year, they bought, all three of them had 100 points. And I haven't checked Lindholm's stats lately, but I don't think he's exactly on fire. <laughs> so they need to figure something out. You, you just look at that lineup. It's like, why isn't Lindholm playing with Huberto? And why isn't Kadri in the mix somewhere? They just, they have no offensive flair to them right now. So it's up to everybody involved. And we're talking about a player whose extension kicks in next year at 10 and a half. Mm -hmm. So something better start working because you're pissing away money. If you're paying a guy that, and he continuously doesn't produce. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to go back to the Carolina Hurricanes, who, of course, you played for for many years on those great teams with Rod Brindamar, Rod Francis, so many other really good players. And I look at the Hurricanes and, you know, these guys will back me up here. Hurricanes, and it's not, this wasn't a, you know, a wild card pick or anything like that. I predicted the Hurricanes would go to the Stanley Cup final. And you look at them nine and one in their last 10. And everybody's obviously focused on the Bruins with 87 points. They only have, what is it, eight or nine regulation losses. But there's the Hurricanes, only seven points back. I mean, I, I think you'd agree. They don't, they, maybe they lack a, a superstar, even though Sebastian Ajo and Andre Svechnikov are pretty good in my books. But, you know, we talked about the Jets and, and Timo Meyer. Like, is Timo Meyer the guy that, like, I realize the Devils apparently are interested and they have a lot of cap space. But first off, do you think that not enough people are talking about how good the Hurricanes are? And it's maybe because, you know, the Lightning and the Leafs are also in the Eastern Conference with the Bruins. There's lots of good teams there. But, do you think that would put them, I guess, over the top? I know it's a cliche, but like it just seems to me like they still need one more score and then it's going to be over and, and they're really going to take that next next step and win a cup. Especially with Pacioretty gone for the season, as he, I mean, they got that money. It's like, what are they going to do with that? And I know Rod Brindamore. He learned from Peter Laviolette. Peter Laviolette was always up to GM's ass to get more players and get better players in there to help win. And I know Roddy Brindamore is like that. You look at their team last year, obviously Freddie Anderson is a major question mark and a major concern for that organization going into the playoffs. Can he be trusted as far as performance and health? It's a major question. But you look what that team has. Like, go all in. Last year they brought in Max Domi. Who, Max is a good player. I really like Max Domi. But if, you if we're talking about the chips going in for different organizations – like, you only get so many chances of, of these windows that you have. And Carolina's been good for three or four years. They're always hovering around winning the President's Trophy. 
and then not much goes on in the in the in the playoffs. So if Roddy Brindamore and and those boys down there, they're probably thinking if there's a chance to get a real quality player, all the teams, the quality teams are in the same position. And I'm sure the coaches like Roddy Brindamore and Lindy Ruff are all saying the same thing to their GM. Go get me that Timu Meyer. This guy's six foot four. He scores 30 goals. He's got 30 goals already. Mm-hmm. He can skate and he's just a massive asset. And any team would be welcoming that. So go ahead and make it happen. I'm sure any, but Carolina, I'm glad they went and got Brent Burns because he's that kind of grizzled veteran back there who plays for keeps and he's all business. And if they can add maybe one, one more, I'm, I don't know if Timu Myers like that, but just kind of add some guys that play for keeps up front to support that Aho and Sveshnikov and some of the Teravine and those young skill players. I think they can make a run, but Freddie Anderson is the key to all in Carolina because we all know what he's done in the playoffs as far as performance <laughs> in the past. And last year, he pulled the disappearing act. So who the hell knows what's going to go on with that guy come playoff time? Well, Jeff, yesterday was Friday night. It was a night of Connors, a hundred point uh, night for Connor Bedard in the WHL, and of course Connor McDavid, hundred points, hundred and one point in fifty six games for the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, is it just? I know I'm just mentioning Bedard just because this kid is just phenomenal what he's doing. But what McDavid's doing, again, it just seems like every single year you're thinking, okay, you kind of know where his ceiling is, especially with him and Dreisaitl, and then he just hits another level. That entire Oilers team, talk about offensive depth, they're all getting it done, and that was without Evander Kane. Now he's healthy, and he's playing for them. But what Connor McDavid is doing in Edmonton just seems... It, I, I can't believe I'm saying it seems remarkable, given that every year it seems like it's remarkable, but this year, again, he's, he's just doing the remarkable. Yeah, I, I don't want to pump my own tires, guys, but I kind of <laughs> predicted it. Like I, I just think at his age, and I said in all the, the, the pre-season shows, like, I think he's a little bit, his ass is chapped a little bit last year. He didn't win the Hart Trophy, and I just think that he wanted to say, I'm ending this discussion about who the best player in the world is, and I'm going to show everybody. And if this guy hits like, he might hit 60 and 140 points or something. And it's just something we haven't seen since the nineties or eighties type of hockey. It's like we were in the era of 97 points was just like, you're going to win the art Ross and it's the best we've ever seen, but this guy's he's gone nuts. And I think he turned a corner last year in the playoffs where it was like, I, I, I got to start doing more in the playoffs and I can elevate. And I think once he realized that there was a different level, it's just lights out. He's, literally unstoppable he you, you you can't keep up and he's got the moves and he drives to the net he's an unstoppable player the way the game is called and, and the way the refs are and the penalty you cannot stop that guy right now you can't slash him you can't hook him there's no way to defend against it and he understands that that once he takes off and the other kid you mentioned seeing him at the world juniors he's outrageous too i had to stop myself a bunch of times and ask bob or james or cheryl i'm like Am I watching what I think I'm watching here? Like, this guy's way better than everybody else. Like, should I be drooling or should I not be drooling? It's just like good food. Should I be drooling over this or not? And that guy, he, I just kept saying to myself, that's that's way better than everybody else. And you get the comments like, oh, you know, the competition, some of these countries aren't that good. I'm like, okay, but nobody else is getting eight points. <laughs> yeah. Like, why is it only him? Why is Last it only him? They're just, they're just... They're way better than everyone else, and they have a maniacal desire to just be great, and you put the combination together. It's scary stuff. 
You know who was who else was maniacal and to be great, and this is my chance to pump our boy O Dog's tires. Jeff O'Neill, not only did he score 41 goals for the Hurricanes, but he put put up back-to-back 120-point seasons together for the Guelph Storm. So you were pretty good back in the day as well, Jeff. Buddy, checks in the mail. <laughs> checks in the mail. Let, you know, so let me just you know, piggyback on that a bit, though. You talk about I mean, McDavid in the regular season, stupendous. The league calls the game different in the playoffs. Now, they shouldn't, but they do. How, how does he... I mean, it's it's ridiculous that he has to change his game to account for playoff officiating. But what does he need to do in order to still be that dominant when he's allowed to be hooked and held and tripped and slashed and all the bullshit that happens come playoff time? Ooh, I didn't know we could swear on this show. Oh, yeah, I'm going to no start rules firing here. some out. Go for it. Um, go for it. He proved last year against the LA Kings um, that he, he can get it done and the Calgary Flames. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to put this on the ice. And you just can't stop it. And that's, you know, the Colorado Avalanche, I think, were just too deep and too physical. And they put McCarr on him, and it was just maybe too much for even him. But I think he decided last year that I'm going to crank this up, and I'm going to – I'm tired of not having success in the playoffs. It's 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 really weird when you think about it, how much better him and Dreisaitl are than most of the league. It's like mm-hmm. those guys, when they're on the ice, it's just no contest. And they've got to be looking at themselves – and they probably had candid moments. I understand they're pretty good friends or whatever, but they probably had lunch or dinner sometimes saying, how the hell have we not advanced? How, how have we not gone to a Stanley Cup final? And part of that is the organization, what they put around him. But if they could ever get goaltending, which is a scary idea for them, mm-hmm. there's been some times, and I thought Stuart Skinner was going to kind of emerge as like that starter, and he's a bigger guy, and he takes up more of the net, but... Jack Campbell, as much as I like him, come playoff time, he kind of scares the hell out of me a little bit. Like, he really does. Like, I don't know what he's going to bring to the table. If he goes on a heater streak, it's great, but you're just wondering when the bubble's going to burst. So, not bad goal McDavid just knows that he, he can continually get better and bring more to the table, and playoffs is a little tighter. But, man, I'll tell you what, the way the, the, way the refs are calling games right now, it's just a, it's a joke, I think. Like, it's just... It's not even enjoyable. It's like there's no competition. This is a skills com- or not a skills competition. It's a special teams competition. Mm-hmm. All there is is power plays and penalty. It's just like, okay, I guess we're gonna watch the power plays of both teams. <laughs> I, like there's no competitive. It disrupts the flow, the right? Like, like and we saw that the- between the Jets and the Blue Jackets, right? Like there were twelve combined power plays, and you've seen that, you know, with the Leafs as well. And right? they're the so, most marginal calls. I mean, that's the problem. It's like, just like, come on, guys! When somebody steps on somebody's stick, it's not tripping. Like that's what we're getting. It's I don't like know if you saw that play. Falls down. I don't know if you saw the play with uh, Pierre Luc Dubois in the neutral zone, Jeff. But it was like literally guys were interlocked, like hands, and they called him a, a penalty. And I was like, it was it was nothing egregious, not worth calling. And then Line A scores on the power play. So, yeah, I mean, it's just I, it's one I'm of those... tired of seeing that. So it almost seems like they're sending a message saying, guys, this year, come playoff time, it's not going to be prison rules out there. So get ready for it. So I hope that doesn't happen because I love the physicality and the competitiveness of playoffs. I hope those don't turn into special teams as well. Oh, dog, trucks come and go. Did you get the clubs back? No, nah, man. I, I, I was hopeful. I saw a tweet from like, the big thing in Toronto is I guess your truck gets stolen and they get it to Montreal and it goes on a shipping container. God knows who the hell's 
like yeah. who's checking these shipping containers is beyond me. But I saw a tweet. If you lost golf clubs in Napanee, which is like straight east, give us a call. And the guy was like, sorry, man, these are shitty old Callaways. And I'm like, no, man. I had like two sets of dialed in uh, tailor-made golf clubs, a nice putter. It's just really sad stuff. You know what? Look at the, uh, it's tough. I know what it's like breaking in a new set of clubs, but at the very least you get to, you get to have the fun and the enjoyment of trying to find that sweet spot again. Maybe look at the bright side. That's all. If we, if we find the truck here in Manitoba, we'll take care of that guy and we'll make sure you get your clubs back. Cause we're very, we're three tough Jews right here. (laughs) I like to hear it. Jeff O'Neill from TSN 1050 overdrive in Toronto. A good friend of ours. Thanks. O'Dog. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Always fun being on. We'll talk soon. Take care, Jeff. There he goes. There he goes. What a great way to end this morning's program. Don't steal someone's truck. Just don't steal someone's truck. Yeah. Period. Like, and that's got to be unsettling for Jeff, right? It's got to like, wake up and your truck is gone in your driveway. It's, it's unsettling it's, it's for creepy. anybody. The, the the Manitoba equivalent is having your window smashed. Well, it's you just feel violated. You know, I've had my bike stolen or something, and it's you know yeah. not the you know is it the end of the world? No, but it just feel you know you're you're coming on my property, you're stealing my bike. It makes you feel. I was waking up to go to the gym, shitty. and I went. I all of a sudden I'm like I'm like why do I see like like sunlight beaming into my 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 car? And then I realized they had smashed my window. Your window wasn't there. That's anymore. why, Dave, you have your just to the left. I know. I was gonna say my his, bike uh, is like five feet away from Morco Messi. here. He's got a thousand dollar bike that he just keeps in the house. Well, now that's that's stolen. Thanks, Ez. Yeah. <laughs> no, give out his address and his garage code, Ezzy, and you'll be perfect. Well, it's uh, not in the garage, Drew. It's in the house. Well, you can bring, you'll get, you'll find a way to get into the house too. Is what I was saying there. Fair point. Uh, great show this morning. We appreciate uh, both Murata Tash and Jeff O'Neill for joining us. In case you missed any of it, it'll be available for the immediate replay on YouTube, and of course, the podcast edition will be available for download uh, really shortly thereafter. Uh, big thank you to all the sponsors of the show. We make the post. Put on your antlers. It's Time for the Manuk Moose Minute on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. I gotta go. That's I- okay. I'm gonna do a very quick one, Drew. Drew, as he mute Drew so he can't speak. Drew, anyway, it's the same place that I am after the show. We're both going to Festival. I'm not oh. going till later, so I'm not going till later. I have somewhere to be. Drew, so- you can wait a couple minutes. Hey, Drew. Hey, Drew. You know what you didn't need to do then? You didn't need to ask Jeff O'Neill that last question. Kind of, kind of, kind of submarine my question. It was kind of an unnecessary addition. So if you wouldn't have asked that question, I could have gotten my Manuk Moose Minute in. Because it was a game that needed to be mentioned. I'm sorry, Drew. Sorry for you. Sorry for, uh, for everybody else. But I think the people, look, the people in the chat want the moose. T. Kona Pauly wants the moose. Ford Gary Q wants the moose. C-Mac, I think, wants the moose. Kenny's water bottle. There we go. He got, he got it. Anyways, the point is the moose were in action, closing out their, seri- their two-game set. Uh, the kickoff is eight game homestand against the Iowa wild and uh, the moose didn't get off to the, bo- the best start power play trouble, power penalty trouble. I should say resulted in the first goal on the first shot for Iowa. They took a one, nothing lead, but then it was all moose the entire game. They outshot the Iowa wild. It was like 38 to 11. And then uh, Leon Gavanke got called for a four minute penalty with four minutes to go in the game. So uh, the wild fired off four shots on Arvid home, but couldn't score to tie it. But the Moose outshot them 11-5, 14-3, and 13-7 in the hockey game. Outshot him, oh, like I said, overall 38-15. First goal scored by Dominic Toninato. Originally thought it was going to be Jeff Malott's goal, but it was tipped by Dominic Toninato. Tie the game. And then early in the third period, I think just 26 
seconds in. Jansen Harkins, his 12th goal of the season, which would prove to be the game winner. The Moose improved to 26-16-3-2. They've now won four straight five points in five of their last five games. They are 4-0-1-0. And, and they're rolling up that um, Central Division chasing Milwaukee and uh, Texas. And now their next set is against Grand Rapids. They'll play a back-to-back. They're off today. They're playing a back-to-back tomorrow and uh, Monday, which is crazy. They're playing 6 o'clock on Sunday. Then they play 2 o'clock on Monday. So uh, not a lot of time between games. But, hey, should be a lot of fun. Louis Real Day on Monday is going to be, I think, close to 7,000 people in attendance, including Drew and his crew. So should be a good one. I'll be there, of course. And uh, the Moose are rolling. Sorry, Drew. And uh, we don't know. You know what? Just to quickly, some people ask me. I don't know why Simon Lundmark didn't play uh, in the game. I forgot to ask after the game why he was out. And also Alex Limoges, the leading scorer, he left the game after the first period. So we'll have to find out. They didn't have Nolan Baumgartner, who we spoke to, didn't have an update. And so we'll see uh, if that impacts them on Sunday. And of course, Captain Jimmy Olin, who played his first game of the season in Toronto, he didn't play either of these two games. He was on the ice for morning skate the other day. So I'm assuming they're just going to work him back in slowly. There you go. There's the Manuk Moose minute. And then, sorry, quickly, the ice kicked off 10 games on the road. Uh, yesterday, I believe they were in Moose Jaw where they won 7 1. There you go. The ice and tonight they're in Regina against Connor Bedard. Yeah, they keep winning on the ice. Off the ice is uh, certainly a different story altogether, but we'll let uh, our buddy Mike Sawatsky and uh, Paul Friesen keep uh, keep track of that story as well. Uh, quality Manuk Moose Minute, quality show on this Saturday morning. We thank everyone for joining us. We thank our sponsors, Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, Linden Market Dental Center, Zappia Group Realty, Betway, Tough Duck, Boston Pizza, Seagram's, Rolly's Transfer, Grid Park, and The Keg support these fine businesses because of their continued support of Illegal Curve Hockey. We're back tomorrow night right around 8.45 p.m. for the post-game show. See you at Festival, Drew. Spencey might be there as well. There you go. It's going to be a party. We'll be at Festival later this afternoon. Beaver Tales for all. There you go. Fun, fun, fun. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. For Dave Manuk, for Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel, this this has been the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Thanks for listening to this broadcast from Illegal Curve Hockey. For more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.